is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry. And today we are discussing the 2007 classic from Death Clock, The Death Album. We are indeed, yeah. An album which I had never heard before from a show that I have never seen. Uh, that blows my mind. Yeah, I know, I know it does, yeah. <laughs> Probably blows a few <laughs> of our listeners' minds as well. But yeah, I just, and we'll, we'll talk about that later, about the sort of, yeah, coming to it clean, as it were. Um, uh, but before we do that, how have you been, Brian? How's lockdown treating you? Uh, I mean, being in the United States and being in Massachusetts, which is one of the few states that have, uh, trended downward, uh, recently, there's that whole like kind of opening process. So it's a bit of a hybrid model that we have going on right now, but we are doing our best as a family to make good choices and stay safe and wear our masks and, uh, and just be respectful of others. And so we're, I would say we're managing as well as we possibly could. Uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show before, but my father has Alzheimer's and he is in a care facility and though the care facilities were some of the hardest hit, um, mm. you know, Same institutions here, yeah. across the country where, uh, and, and his was as well, where they had an outbreak and my father actually had uh, coronavirus and, and recovered from it. Um, oh, wow. He's such, yeah, he's such a trooper. And, uh, but the, the facility that he's in really did, I thought as, as good of a job as they could of handling that whole situation. And then also starting to create a scenario where families can start to visit their loved ones again. And so they're doing like outdoor visits where, uh, you reserve a time and you come and it's, it's very, um, structured and uh, there's a lot of safety precautions being taken. And so, now that they're sort of uh they've they've dealt with the the situation at the facility they're trying to figure out ways for family members to be able to have contact again which is really important because my father having alzheimer's the isolation it just yeah. accelerates the you know the decline and so it's been um it's just a weird time man where there's so many uh choices that you take for granted and, and so many decisions about health and safety that you're making on a daily basis and trying to err on the side of safety if, you know, certainly that's what we're doing. But, um, but yeah, it's just a wild time, man. But we're hanging in there as best we can. Yeah. Well, same here. You know, like, like you, we're kind of, we're in a better position than most people to just ride this thing out. Uh, we, we're getting mixed messages from our government as well at the moment. Uh, none of which we trust. Um, we are very lucky in that we are, because I work at home, obviously, we are able to just continue isolating. And so we are. We have no intention of stopping the isolation right now because we just don't believe that it's a good time to do so, despite what our government is desperately trying to tell us. Uh, And so, yeah, we're just we're masking up whenever we have to go to the shops and uh, staying indoors for the most part. I mean, luckily, obviously, it's summer at the moment, so it's quite pleasant to just open the doors and sit in the garden and, you know, sure. not, not worry about, uh, you don't feel completely cooped up come the winter. That's not going to be so good, but hopefully come that, uh, sort of time, you know, by that season, things will be a bit better, but we don't know, do we? I do wish we were a little more isolated cause we live in the city. And so, uh, we're just, there's really nowhere to go. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. like, uh, life goes on around you 24 seven. And so it's, um, yeah, that's one good thing about living in such a sort of rural, uh, you know, sparsely populated area. That we, I mean, right. wrong, we, li- we live in a town, there are people sure, here, yeah. but it is nowhere near the density of, uh, 
even an English city, let alone an American city, which is even denser. So yep. yeah, as I say, we're, you know, fortunate in that sense. Um, I have, however, tried to stay busy during lockdown. I just want to mention <laughs> this because as we record in just a couple of days time, hopefully but bef- just after this episode goes out live, I made a short film uh, entirely online from isolation with a couple of actor friends who were also self-isolating. Um, and that is going to go up live on YouTube on July 1st at uh, 11 a.m. PST, which I think is 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's going to be, that That was fun. It was hard work to put together. Like we did the whole thing over Zoom, literally re- recorded using our webcams over Zoom uh, to make this short film. And then I did all the sort of, you know, editing process and what have you here at home. But uh, yeah, that was, that was fun, you know, just the th- thinking like, what can we actually do while we're all stuck at home? <laughs> I, I absolutely love that because, and congratulations on that. That's a huge undertaking. And the fact that it's coming out now, it's always nice to get that stuff out in the world. Um, and, and it kind of represents, I think, the best of what what can happen in sort of these quote-unquote challenging times where we're seeing like just different ways to tap into that creativity for people who want to continue to put things out there and, and, and who that is their sort of uh, passion and their therapy, like to be able to deal with what's going on in the world is to make things. And so just seeing the different ways that those, that those things are happening and people, you know, where there's a will, there's a way of, of figuring out projects and figuring out how to work together and figuring out how to collaborate and create is super exciting. So I can't wait to see it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it, it's working within constraints. We've talked about this yep. in regards to, you know, the music stuff as well. Like sometimes having constraints put upon you forces you to be creative in ways that you might not otherwise have done. And that's exactly what happened here. I literally woke up one morning and thought, if you were going, if you had to make a film during lockdown, how could you do it and what would it be? And that's that then led to, I literally wrote the script that day, got in touch with some actor friends and, you know, and put it together. Um, and so it is, I mean, it's completely zero budget, <laughs> you know, our budget is zero dollars and you can tell. Um, but because of the, you know, pretty amazing technology that we all have sitting on our desks these days, uh, yeah, it came out pretty well and it looks pretty good. So, uh, I'll put a link to the, we've set it up as a premiere. So if you go to the YouTube page, you can set yourself a reminder for when it goes live. Um, and then once it's premiered, it will remain at that URL. You can watch it anytime. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes if people want to check it out. Awesome. Um, so it's been, uh, just over a month since we did the gate creeper episode. Um, that generated a lot of chat on our Facebook group. Did it not? It did. Thank you for the segue, Anthony Johnston. Uh, looking at the, uh, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Looking at the comments, I mean, the, one of the funniest things about that is Kenneth had written a comment before the episode even aired, and I don't even know if it was before he, uh, well, he had certainly listed the album, but his first comment was, is Brian in tears begging for the man to stop shouting? Uh, that was his first comment on that particular one. And of course, we know from the episode that I actually did, I, I pretty much yes. dug that album. Uh, Stuart said, I heard Candlemass in the guitars as much as Iomi in the intro to Deserted, particularly, although the vocals couldn't be further from Messiah Markelin's, uh, but the growl kind of works for me. Some of the vocals, vocal touches remind me of Tom Warrior's on Morbid Tales. Mm. Uh, the drumming's not all blast beats, which does give variation, particularly like the sequence at the end of From the Ashes as well. Overall, I enjoyed this a lot more than I was anticipating, enough to go to Brian's favorite website and buy the albums and EP 
to go with the other 50-plus albums I bought from Bandcamp. <laughs> it's a go-to site for me, too. And that actually brings up a good point about Bandcamp. Bandcamp has been doing some um, like royalty-free Friday sort of – not royalty-free, yeah. but basically like where they're not taking free. their cut. Yeah, or they're donating their cut to charity and things like that. And so keep an eye. It's usually on Fridays that that's happening. But if you if you get any of the Bandcamp newsletters or you, you check out that site, there's a, a lot of times where – you know, um, they're basically having a Friday where artists keep a hundred percent or they're having a Friday where they donate their cut to a charity. Uh, and so just, uh, if you're thinking about dipping your toe into Bandcamp or you use it all the time, like I do, um, those are good things to uh, keep an eye on because you can actually support some causes along the way as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's also worth, uh, mentioning that we did talk a lot about Bandcamp in the last episode and, you know, joked about how it sort of almost felt like the episode was sponsored by Bandcamp. But then it turns out, because a lot of people mentioned this on Facebook in the comments, it turns out that most of our listeners out there also dig Bandcamp and use it a lot as well, which I think is great because obviously it is mostly used by indie artists, not by people signed to major labels and stuff. Um, and so the fact that we have a lot of listeners who are using Bandcamp to dig and discover uh, and, you know, give money to these indie artists, I think is is a really good sign of kind of the health of that scene. Agreed. Uh, I, I really like it as well. And there has been so much new music that I have discovered through Bandcamp, not just from like the suggestions that I'll get when I pick up an album there, but from a lot of the recommendations that people have made here. And yep. then I find the album on Bandcamp. And so, yeah, spend a lot of time there. That's your Bandcamp minute for today. Uh, so if you have your bingo cards ready, uh, we've talked about Bandcamp. There, you, you know what other spots are oh, on that card and they'll be coming. I'm pretty sure everybody's bingo card. I'm, I think we're going to hit every single square on the bingo we card might. today. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a lot of bingo winners. Uh, just to be clear, it's a no prize that you get when you when you get the bingo. But uh, uh, let's see. Phil said, "I think I love the general metal and music talk as much as the actual track by track breakdown of the albums. Great stuff." Yeah, we did spend a lot of sort of preamble last time, just kind of digging into a lot of different stuff there. Uh, we did, Phil yeah. said, "Phil said agreed. I listened to the full episode just for the discussion, even for albums or artists that aren't particularly in my wheelhouse." Brian and Anthony bring so much thought to their analysis that there's always something interesting to take away, which is very heartwarming. Oh, bless thank you, you for yeah, that. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, the fills. We're going to call them the fills, um, <laughs> <laughs> or just PP. Well, either either one. Uh, Todd said, "I have never." What did he say here? I haven't even gotten to the album breakdown yet, but one of the biggest shocks in my history oh, yeah. <laughs> was uh, listening to T. Uh, Listening to T.O. happened 38 minutes in when a member in good standing of the United Kingdom Crime Writers Association for a proper English garden was not only aware of the existence of North American football, but also seemed to have solid grasp of its historical arc and acknowledge its legitimacy as a human athletic endeavor. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, as I uh, responded on Facebook, I mean, you can go and have a look at that thread, but as I responded, I've been into the NFL since the... 1980s when it first basically made a splash over here and i was a young kid i was a teenager i even played in my local youth team uh for a few years um yeah i've been a fan ever since i have i'm quite sort of you know i have a certain amount of pride in the fact that bearing in mind i'm here in the uk i have not missed a super bowl since uh 1987 eight something like that even when you could literally couldn't watch American football on British TV at all. There was no venue for it whatsoever. But even in those times, 
Radio 5, which is our sort of live sports talk channel, used to broadcast the, uh, you know, an audio commentary of the Super Bowl. And so I would listen live. I would stay up until, you know, three in the morning over here on Super Bowl Sunday and listen to uh, the radio commentary of it, uh, even because that was literally the only option that I had. Uh, yeah, big NFL fan. Uh, for my sins, I'm a Dolphins fan, uh, which obviously it. has never been you know, since the 1980s basically has never been a good time. Uh, I also started supporting the New York Giants um, after my first trip to New York in the late 90s when I fell in love with the city. Uh, And obviously that's been a bit nicer over the years, although still not great for the last few years, let's be honest. Right. (laughs) Yes, as a Chargers fan, I I really appreciate the fact (laughs) that you you are steeped in teams that that have a history of not being – so great, Peaks especially with the Dolphins. Peaks and yeah. valleys. <laughs> um, well, we just went through our Dan Marino period because Philip Rivers' tenure with the Chargers has now ended, and so um, he he was the Dan Marino, I think, of the modern uh, era. And he's going to be playing for the Colts this year, so I'll have a second team that I'm I'm sort of pulling for. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, very interested to see what that looks like if it looks like anything at all this year. Yeah, um, that's going to be you know a question, what? We're not going <laughs> to yeah. Uh, continuing on with our gate creeper feedback, Ratatesker said to be honest, I didn't like the album at all when I first uh when I first listened for the first and only time I listened to it. It seemed really boring to me right now. I'm listening to the new episode and I'm wondering if your song by song breakdown will change my opinion. Uh and he actually came back later and said uh let's see. Uh cuz you had said, you know, let's hope so we acknowledge in the show that it's not necessarily for everyone up front, but repeated listening, you know, rewards people. And he said, yeah, when I heard Brian say that, I nodded to myself while listening to the songs on the podcast. I found them far more interesting than when I heard them the first time, especially the last song seems to be quite good. Um, so that's good. That The whole like three listed yeah. rule that, that we've kind of talked about before and uh, just the idea of maybe hearing it on the show and, and hearing it discussed will give you a few new ways to maybe get back into an album that felt like it wasn't really for you that's usually the case with me even on albums that i kind of dislike there's always something that i can come away with and appreciate more with those repeated listens for sure yeah true i mean i think the other and this is just a theory but i also wonder if the fact that you're not listening to when you listen to the show to the podcast you're not hearing those tracks immediately one after the other because especially with the heavier stuff and you know that gate group album musically is crushingly heavy as we said yep. uh it can get a bit relentless you know it can sort of beat you down a bit and so i wonder if having them separated by a few minutes of us nattering in in between actually allows you to kind of appreciate the differences between each track more than when you just hear them one after the other continually do you know what i mean absolutely because if you think about it like when you're reading a book and it's it's a it's a dense book. You frequently put it down, right? You frequently bookmark your your, your mm, progress, true. and you and you come back to it. But I know for me, I'm I'm very hardwired to have to feel like I need to get through the whole album if I sit down to you know quote unquote give it a listen. Uh, I don't like stopping in between. I like to go through the whole thing, and sometimes that could be the reason why it takes a few listens to get into something because it's not until you've you know, given it a few spins that the tracks start to separate a little bit more. And you, and you, because now you've heard them enough where they are their own individual songs now, as opposed mm. to this album that you're kind of listening to. But yeah, it's uh that's a good point. And uh, 
I'd be interested to, I don't often go back and listen to us discussing that because we're obviously having the discussion and we're yeah. recording it. So a lot of times I don't go back and listen to us discussing, but I wonder, and by the time we talk about it, I've spent so much time with an album that it, it would be almost impossible to do that. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. I think having a little bit of a breather to just marinate on a song and not be one after another is probably a good thing. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, uh, David uh, raised the question, and there was some discussion around this, of whether or not this was the heaviest album that we've covered on the show. Yeah, I can't remember how that conversation went, actually. Uh, well, some some people brought up Neurosis. Uh, oh, some course, people yeah, brought up yeah. Death. Uh, of course, Slayer was uh, talked about. So those three generally came up in the conversation as... Uh, also contenders for heaviest album that we've listened to, but I don't see a definitive uh, recognition of what was the heaviest so far. So it seems like this was certainly in that discussion of heaviest albums that we've covered. It's probably up there. Yeah. I mean, Slayer, the thing, it's all about context, isn't it? Like, you know, in 1987 or whenever that album came out, yes, that was unquestionably one of the heaviest records that you'd ever heard. But now from a modern perspective, you know, you, you could name a hundred albums that are heavier than Slayer's early stuff. Uh, so yeah, that's a really interesting question. And it, it kind of speaks to what we were talking about, what we've talked about before and what we touched on last time as well about the progression of the genre and how, what would have been seen as outrageously heavy, um, you know, 20 years ago is now practically mainstream metal. Um, it is, right. it's a very interesting evolution. Yeah, totally agree. And it's that's always interesting, right? When you're comparing different generations of metal there, because it, it is, if you're not talking about context, and then there's albums that are not as um, heavy in terms of like, comp, maybe like what traditional metal is thought of, but that are heavy albums. And so it also gets into that whole thing of like, what is heavy? Yeah. Right. What is, what is, um, I would say uh, of the albums that were mentioned here, I would probably say Neurosis was the heaviest that we've... Yeah, I'd probably... To me, to yeah. my ears. Um, and I I think I ended up liking that one, but I would say if I was comparing that to Gate Creeper, I probably had an easier time getting into Gate Creeper than I did to sure, yeah. Neurosis. Uh, do you know, I mean, I'd probably agree with that, except, you know, that Creator album that we did, that's fucking heavy, dude. Oh, <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's you what know. I'm saying. And right? again, it's like yeah, that... it gets into the question of well, what is heavy exactly? Because that's, you can't hear that creator album and go, oh no, this isn't very heavy. Of course it fucking is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I don't even heavy. know if we, if we got into the discussion in that particular episode, but like that to me, they're the closest thing to what like late eighties and early nineties Slayer was just right. in terms of like, at the time, if you think back to that time and how heavy Slayer was, yes, that is the album that Creator just made. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like so, yeah, it is. It, it is the you know twenty aughts version of, of an, like Rain in Blood or something. Yeah, 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 totally, dude. Yeah, absolutely. That album is a crusher for sure. Um, yeah, that could be a whole other discussion about like what what does heavy mean? It's that it goes right hand in hand with like what is metal, right? And yeah, I mean it's, it's all of that. I'm stuff. sure it will come up again on this show, and it's well, yeah. it's the eternal impossible question, <laughs> right? 
Uh, let's see. So Phil said, so this album proved once and for all, I just can't do pure death vocals. Musically, I like much of what is going on with this album, although it's a bit samey to me by the end, but the pure death growls are just grinding and fatiguing to my ear. My brain needs melodic clean vocals to break it up and release the tension of the death vocals. And I thought that was super interesting. I think fatiguing was the word that stuck out to me in that Mm discussion piece because and that goes back to what you were just saying earlier about maybe a break between the songs right i think there are i think there is certain um genres and maybe not genres but but certainly certain albums right where it is uh that fatigue sets in and can be a negative thing in terms of you being able to really enjoy an album or 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 really fully experience an album right oh, and some sure. albums are actually designed to fatigue you i mean that is the goal over the you know of course the album is to is to that's part of the heavy is the fatigue that it brings when you make it through an entire album right yeah but there are also you know, when that's not i mean even when that is the point if it's not your thing then it's it's not going to work for you but yeah there are definitely albums where you kind of get the impression where that's not what they were going for, but it is the effect that it has. And I'm not immune to that. I mean, you know, obviously it's clear from the show that I tend to like that stuff more than, you know, than you or many of our listeners, but there are albums that even I listen to and I think, uh, it's, you know, just like some variety here would be welcome, <laughs> whether it's that's in vocals or music or whatever. Uh, let's see what else we have here. A couple more. Uh, Andy said, nice episode, an interesting pick from Anthony. This record is definitely a grower. Rewards repeated listens, as you both say. This isn't the sort of record I'm naturally drawn to, but it's real solid. The love for Entombed is evident from the very jump. My only real criticism is that a bit more melody would have made the individual songs more distinct, more memorable. Tough to do with this style of vocals, which is really a complaint about the style in general and not this album specifically. Uh, yeah, so I and, think that fits everything yeah. we just kind of talked about. Yeah, well, and what we talked about on the episode, you know, as I said at the end of that episode, I I acknowledge, you know, I would never claim that it's a perfect album or anything, but it, considering the progression that that album shows from the one before it, I am, you know, continue to be sort of interested and excited by what their next album will be to see if they do continue to progress. And I think that, well, I hope that that will include, yeah, you know, a bit more melody, a bit more uh dynamism in the music and stuff to continue progressing and make the make it dare i say a little bit more accessible uh let's see uh tortoise said this album cemented my dislike for doom however there was so much more to it that i really enjoyed it so much groove and thrash in places that it was an easy listen that was the only time I think I saw somebody say that it was an easy listen <laughs> um but 10 out of 10 would see this band live Let's see what else we got here. Yeah, uh, well, Todd said I really... Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I uh, I can't remember whether I mentioned it. No, I did. I linked to it in the show notes, didn't I? Yeah, I posted that video of them uh, doing a gig in December last year, you know, just before everything locked down and what have you. And, I mean, I have I did watch that video, and they are a good band live. They are blistering live. Obviously, you have to be into the music to start with, but they bring so much energy to the show that, yeah, if you, you should absolutely go and check out that video if you haven't yet. Was it not also in one of the interviews that they talked about wanting to do 30 minute sets and that's it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. so awesome. We never want to do any a set longer yeah. than 30 minutes. And we're yeah. like, yeah, let's revisit that in five years' yeah, time. We'll talk to you in a few years, for sure. <laughs> uh, but I did, I did appreciate that that was something that they put out there. I like the sentiment, yeah. <laughs> 
Matthew said, sadly, I had to give this one a thumbs down because of the vocals, much in line with comments in the episode, I don't require angelic singing, but when I can't make out any of the words, it is too far for me. That's an interesting point, too, about the sort of spectrum of Cookie Monster, right? Um, which I'm going to, we're going to refer to what, that as the Cookie Monster spectrum. Now, where do you fall <laughs> on the Cookie Monster spectrum? Well, and we're going to talk about that in this episode as well, I'm sure. Oh, we will. Yeah. Uh but yes, that is that was difficult for me as well. There were plenty of times on this album that I had no idea what was actually being said and had to refer to a lyric, you know, yeah. list. Yeah, well, it's the sort of it's the napalm death level of uh, death growl uh, or Cookie Monster or what? Yeah, whatever you want to call it. That's kind mm-hmm. of, and maybe they. I don't know if they were the first, but they're the first band certainly that I can remember and that I was aware of where yeah you you literally could not tell what was being said unless you had a lyric sheet in front of you you know you could pick out the occasional word but basically it was just uh, you know a bunch of growls and odd sounding syllables that made no discernible sense <laughs> right so we could workshop this a little bit more but just go with me for a second on this one if we're talking about the cookie monster spectrum mm-hmm. and we have uh let, let's Super clean slash angelic vocals on the left side, right? Your 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 Queen's Rikes, your stripers, your that kind of stuff, right? Is is the zero point on that spectrum goblin vocals? Is that where the Thrash It Out logo is at the zero point in that spectrum? <laughs> and then all the way to the right is like the in, indecipherable um just sort of wall of growl, right? And so if those are the if those are the points where it's full cook it I guess that's past full Cookie Monster, right? That's like that's like Cookie Monster with a mouthful of cookies at that point in time. So if we let's just workshop this a little bit more, I'm sure the Facebook group could could uh, could help us out with that. But if we're if we're going to establish a spectrum of Cookie Monster vocals that go ranges all the way from clean to indecipherable, let's work that out. Well, my my only argument with that would be that Goblin thrash vocals for me go beyond the midpoint. Because okay. because they are sometimes indecipherable. Um, my midpoint would be somebody like Lemmy, where it's definitely a growl. There's a rasp, but you can understand every word he says. Sure. Uh, or even Axl Rose to an extent, actually. You know, obviously, Your Bon Scots, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where uh-huh. there is that okay. rasp and that growl, but you can understand every word. Yeah. Right. Mm. Gravel. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, okay. yeah, you're sort of, your um, I can't remember any of their names now, but you know, you're overkill and, and, uh, so maybe uh, it's the gravel spectrum and cookie monster is a stop on that <laughs> right, spectrum. Right. The goblin <laughs> is a stop on that spectrum, but it's actually the gravel spectrum. Bon Scott is the, is the zero point. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. Lemmy's a bit more to the gravel than Bon Scott. And yeah, then from Bon Scott, be. you go through people like Axl Rose and Dio, and then you wind up at like King Diamond. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we made some good progress today. I think we can we can put that down for now, and then we'll come back to that. But I think we we gave uh, people something something good to chew on there. So uh, as usual, uh, there were more comments on this particular thread. As always, fantastic discussion on the Facebook page every time that we post an episode, and when we're not posting an episode. Like I mean, the amount of yeah. it's always funny because when we start to get ready for a particular episode, I'll go back and pull like the the permalink from whatever the post was so I can have all the feedback sort of in front of me. Sure. 
And man, do I have to go a long way back to kind of find that post because there's so many good discussions that are continually happening on the page. There was somebody posted one this week about all of Rick Rubin's albums being ranked from like 100 to down or something like that. Like, there's just always good, whether it's new music being posted or how I haven't heard of this band yet. Yeah, and then (laughs) you've got people like Kenneth White and Christopher Powell just constantly posting links to new albums and new bands and stuff as well. And yeah, which is great. And that's what the forum's there for. But yeah, yep. I can imagine that you have to sort of wade through, scroll down through like 40 new posts <laughs> to reach. But it's the- so good, dude, because like uh, if it was just like, here's the post from this month's episode, here's the post from the last episode. Yeah, it would be so dull. And so I, I love the fact that there's uh, so many people. And again, as you saw with this particular episode, like people who uh, the album wasn't for them, it's not their cup of tea, but they listen to the episode, they like the discussion, and they have something to offer in the conversation. And I will point out again, in this apocalypse that we are living in, this discussion from top to bottom is a mutually respectful discussion yeah. of things that we like and don't like about something, appreciated, maybe didn't appreciate it about something. And I just can't say enough about how grateful I am for this community and the way that you all interact with us and the way that you all interact with each other. It is really uh, awesome. Yeah. Couldn't have put it better myself. It's a fun, civil, good natured, uh, and, you know, well-meaning forum, which is, you know, as we've said many times before, a rare thing at any time on the internet, but right now (laughs) feels even more rare than normal. (laughs) Especially for the platform that we're on. Which yeah. is Facebook. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. it's like, it is like, uh, I feel like we're a dinosaur that nobody's discovered yet uh, in this place. So, so, but uh, keep it up, everyone. It's really, really great. Absolutely. And uh, I'll just give people the address. If, you, if you're if you not a member there uh, yet and you want to go there and join, it's facebook.com slash groups slash thrashed out. Uh, just click join. We have to approve you, but we approve everyone. It's fine. Uh, Facebook won't let us not, you know, have to approve everyone for some bizarre reason. Uh, so yeah, go there, join, post new music, tell us what you think of the episode. You know, we, uh, yeah, just don't be a dick and we love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the only rule. That really, is the only it? rule. Don't be a dick. <laughs> All, All right. right. So, uh, before we move on, let me just, uh, give people reminders as well. Obviously you can go to that Facebook group to talk to us. You can also support the show at Patreon, which is patreon.com slash thrash it out for the princely sum of $1 or more. Per month, and that allows you to take part in things like the uh, listener choice polls and the encore uh, polls that we now do each volume. And possibly, you know, you sort of go into the random number generator to be a guest on our backstage pass episodes. One of which we're going to do uh, next episode. Actually, the very next episode will be a backstage pass one. We'll talk about that later again at the end. So yeah, go to patreon.com slash thrash it out if you want to support us. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out if you want to uh, join in the discussion and talk to us. And if you want to find us on Twitter, just go to thrashedoutpodcast.com and there's links to mine and Brian's uh, Twitter as well as the email to mail the show there. But yeah, now we're going to talk about uh, Death Clock and Metalocalypse. And Professor Brian, put on your historian hat and tell us... Tell people like me who have never seen this show, and I still haven't seen this show because I wanted to go into this whole thing clean, as it were. Tell us all about Metalocalypse. Well, first I will say that now that we're jumping into this discussion, um, there are probably specific episodes of the show that listeners who are very familiar with it 
could recommend in the comments of this show as particular episodes to track down because the show uh, launched in August of 2006, Metalocalypse, and it ran 61 episodes with one special episode that was like the concluding episode. It was called the the Doomstar Requiem, uh, and it ran from 2006 to 2013. It actually ended up getting canceled, and so there's some unfinished storylines that were not explored in the show. Um, and I won't get into spoilers about that stuff because there problem. There may be people who literally have not watched any of this show. Um, I have not seen every single episode of this show, but I have seen many episodes of this show. And the overall approach to it and the overall vibe is something that I adore. Now, what's interesting about this show is that Brendan Small, who is the main creator, and he created the show with uh, Tommy Blocka, who voices uh, Murderface, which we'll talk about the characters in just a second there. But... My introduction to Brandon Small was the television show, the animated series Home Movies. And if you remember Home Movies, that ran from 99 to 2004. And Home Movies was a, was a series that was put together by the creative team behind Dr. Katz. And Dr. Katz used to be a show on Comedy Central where it was really a, an opportunity for stand-up comedians to kind of do pieces of their bit, but he was a therapist to comedians. And the series was known because it used what they called at the time, I think it was squiggle vision, where the the animation of it was very sort of uh, squiggly. And But it was Dr. Katz who was interviewing or you know being the therapist for these different comedians that would come in. So you had all these guests that would come on the show. So then the show Home Movies came out, and Brandon Small played the main character in that. And um, H. John Benjamin, who is Bob from Bob's Burgers, was in Dr. Katz. He played the soccer coach in uh, this series, Home Movies. And so I was a huge fan of of the stuff that he was doing. And that's how I kind of ended up knowing like who Brendan Small was. And so when it came out that he was working on a show and it was going to be a metal-themed show for Adult Swim, like that, you had me at Brendan Small. And so that was my sort of uh, sort of introduction to that. And so for anybody that's never seen the show, I mean, what we're basically talking about, and there was a great interview that he did back in 2012 with uh, The Aquarian. Uh, Amanda Ferrante Batista did this back in 2012, and he was talking about the pitch behind this thing. And I'm going to find the quote uh that Brendan Small said about sort of what was behind it. He said, the big thing that would make a show like this different than any other show is a lot of attention being paid to the music. It just can't be generic rock or generic metal. I knew it would have to be specific and be what I would want a metal band to sound like if I were in charge of it. That's how it all came together. When I sold the concept to the sh- uh, uh, of the show, I called the head of the network. I said, I had this idea about this extreme metal show, but the characters would be the biggest entertainment act in the universe, as opposed to having the band be on its way out. Now, if you've watched any of Metalocalypse, it is death metal spinal tap. That's what it is. And so... Uh, I actually went back and watched Spinal Tap last night just to just to uh, have a have a good sort of frame for for coming into this one. But the thing about Spinal Tap, and he goes on to say in this article, that's what Spinal Tap did, and he's referring to Spinal Tap being a movie that was about a bigger than life rock band that was on their way out, so to speak. You know, that was that was uh, yeah. declining. The premise of Metalocalypse is that. Not only is Death Clock bigger than like Metallica, they are the biggest 
they're so big that anything that they do is a cultural phenomenon and that and yet they are as stupid as spinal tap and so you have that sort of premise of like they're they're oblivious to <laughs> they're just complete caricatures obviously and the fact that they are the biggest band in the world it literally means that anything they do is going to cause a phenomenon and i think that people probably saw the clip that was posted somewhere on our facebook page but it's the the uh duncan hills coffee commercial and that i think was from the first episode of metalocalypse where basically you had uh death clock had decided to do a jingle for a coffee company and so they go to the like the frozen tundra and they have their stage dropped in from above. People travel from all over the world to come here to see them play this 25-second coffee jingle. And they have to sign their lives away in order to come and see the band. And the band drops the stage from the sky. And it lands on a third of the people that are there and crushes them. And then he comes out and sings this song about Duncan Hill's coffee. And then they jump, they dump giant vats of coffee on their audience who of course get scalded to death as they're watching this band. And the, the whole time they they're screaming how much they love death clock. Like that's the, that's the sort of premise of this band is that they, they go around the world and they're just creating destruction and mayhem through their idiocy. And um, but they're too big to stop. They're too big to stop. And there is like this Illuminati group who is constantly monitoring the goings on of death clock and making decisions about whether or not to intervene in what's happening. And there's this whole like prophecy, like the lore behind the show is just so ridiculous that it's great. But the core of the show is just that you have this band who are just complete morons and it is a, it's a death metal spinal tap. I mean, that is, that is the, that's the tagline for for this kind of thing. So he he basically goes on to say in this interview, um, you know, that's what Spinal Tap did, and that's why it's great. They did it the best. We thought, why not have them be the biggest entertainment act on Earth? And they're pretty much fueling the economy. They're bigger than Belgium. If they were that big, then what are the cultural effects? He said, here's the show idea. The network told me to write a treatment for it. You know, spent the next few months figuring it out. And his whole idea was that he said, I thought a TV show ultimately could get canceled really quickly if it doesn't catch on. If I could just make this show work and get people excited about it, then maybe I could just quit the show and make the music. That was the whole idea. Oh, (laughs) okay. So I think what's interesting about that tidbit is that the music is first in the approach to this show. And in the show itself, you often see, uh, and it's even said here on the on the Wikipedia page, the animation was off, often carefully synced to the music with the chord positions and fingering of the guitar parts shown in some detail. And so it was, there was this very um, sort of, uh, there was a reverence to the music and, but, and an attention to detail. You can tell the music nerd was in charge. A hundred Because, yeah, the, the reason that normally doesn't happen is that whoever's actually in charge of things like the budget does not care. It's not that the writers or creators necessarily don't care, but ultimately whoever is in charge, i.e. the showrunner, the creator, isn't that bothered about that sort of verisimilitude. So having right. somebody like Small, who is a musician himself, a very talented musician, it must be said, um, who clearly does care and he's the guy who allocates the budget because he's the showrunner 
That's what makes the difference. A hundred percent. And so that's the beauty to me of Metalocalypse is that, yes, it is frequently hysterical. It is so stupid with some of the storylines that they have in it, but it's, it is all, it stays very true to that notion of that initial pitch that, that I just sort of read to you. That is, they're very close to that, like all the time. And so some of the episodes are hit and miss. Some of them are absolutely hysterical. They're all completely over the top and the characters themselves are just completely ridiculous. I mean, there's an eighties, uh, clown called Dr. Roxo, who is his tagline is I do cocaine. And he sounds like uh, an 80s glam metal, you know, uh, lead singer. He's kind of a mixture of like David Lee Roth and um, Paul Stanley. Uh, and and so the show would often do things like that, where they would they would just uh, do complete parodies of a particular band, a particular personality, um, and and always playing in the, uh, that idea of like what is metal and how can we make this more metal and the beginning of that Duncan Hills jingle is like where he, they're interviewing uh, Death Clock and Nathan Explosion is the main singer of of Death Clock and the question to him is has Death Clock sold out and you can see through this whole discussion that it, that there this is Metallica we're talking about here right in yeah, this yeah. now granted the band is not always patterned after Metallica they they but in that discussion and that's what's kind of cool is they sort of pick these storylines to make nods to. It reminds me a lot of how uh, like modern horror movies will make a nod to like eighties horror or something like that. Yeah, there yeah. are so many nods to stories that we grew up. Like you remember when Metallica first did the, their first video and there was a question, well, did Metallica sell out? They're doing yeah. videos now because they had never done videos before and stuff like that. And so, you know, the reporter is asking Nathan, uh, has Death Clock sold out? And he said, no, we're here to make coffee metal. That was his <laughs> response to that. <laughs> we're here to make coffee metal. We're here to make everything metal. And that was uh, that was the approach. So that's sort of the attitude of the show. And if you haven't seen it, like, there's so many episodes I could recommend. We'll talk about some of them that are specifically... Um, tied to a song on this album because a lot of the songs on this album are tied to a specific episode. Um, the other thing that I thought was super interesting about this is that he talked about his composition process in this interview that that I read from the Aquarian, which is a really good one. He said, "My composition process is really strange, and I don't know anybody else who does it this way. I write parts of a song for the show, and I'll do it very quickly. I spend about two hours on it." Then I'll come back to it and write some lyrics in about a month and a half, maybe two months later, and I'll have about 45 minutes of music. And then I'll revisit it like a year and a half or two years later and try to make it into a song. The goal is to see if I'm interested in listening to the song. If I'm getting through the song without getting bored, that's the objective. I always consider myself the audience for the TV show, too. If not, I usually get rid of it and I get sick of it. Um, And so that I thought was super interesting is that all of these songs for the most part start as the snippet of a song that you hear in the show and then they get built out into a full song along the way i was going to ask about that right okay that answers a question yeah that i was going to put to you because i was going to say like are these because i i know that some of the songs on the album as you say are tied to episodes appeared first in episodes of the show and i was going to say do we hear the whole song or do we only sometimes. ever hear 30 seconds of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Sometimes you hear the whole song, like the um, birthday death day song. <laughs> you hear the whole song in that particular episode. I think the 
uh, Death Harmonic, the which, the last one you you hear most of, if not the whole thing, in an episode. So there are definitely episodes where you do hear the whole song, and so those are obviously fully baked by the time they go into the show. But then there's other times where you are hearing thirty seconds, you are hearing twenty five seconds of a show, and, and a lot of times it'll be like them finishing a concert or starting a concert or something like that. And right. so, um, but I just thought that was super interesting. So there's probably so many songs that never made it onto either the albums or the show or anything like that. And just the amount of music that this guy is, is sort of uh, pumping out. And by the time they got to the third album, uh, they had brought a, uh, a bass player along because they, they became a live act at some point where they would have animated characters behind them. They would go out on tour. Brendan small would be there and Gene Hoagland, obviously who, who is on drums. And then I think it is, Although Hoagland's only on drums on the albums and tour, isn't he? I think Small does do literally everything for for the, the show for the snippets on the show. Although I assume, therefore, that he uses a drum machine. Right. Uh, he, well, I think I think what happens is, and I know there's an interview somewhere on it, but I think he sort of outlines it with a drum machine, and then he'll hand it over to uh, to Hoagland, and Hoagland will. Um, oh, actually, I have Hogan's process too. Listen to this because you'll appreciate this. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but he'll he'll sort of outline it and then give it to Hoagland, and then Hoagland will put his own stamp on it. There's some good YouTube videos on that about how like they work in the studio. But this probably won't surprise you when you hear this because Hoagland is like a a machine. Um, he says so. So on Invisible Oranges, there was an interview with uh, Gene Hoagland, and they were talking about Death Clock, and he says. Um, with death clock, it's always a little strange because I pretty much get introduced to each song the day that we are recording it, the day that we are recording it. Wow. He said, I'm familiar with the chorus or whatever is on the show. So back to what you said, Anthony, yeah, the, the, the sort of show snippet has been already created, but then we build the song from the ground up. We take two songs a day in the studio on the death album. We recorded 22 or 23 songs, something like that. And then the next album, Death Album 2, we tracked like 14. He said, uh, Brandon will take the night before, come up with a little bit of an arrangement. Then he'll bring it down the next day. We'll jam it for an hour or so, and I'll get it down. I'll take a little break. I'll come back in, and I'll track the song. Wow. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just inhuman, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am introduced to the... I, I just, like... <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that. I get I mean, introduced to, be fair, to each song the day we are recording it. To be fair, none of, at least on this album, none of the drum tracks are crazy. You know, none of them are sort of like mad rhythms or weird time signatures or that sort of thing. So it's all within, you know, when you take a drummer as talented as Hoagland and with as much experience, sure. it's all within his wheelhouse. You know, none of this is stuff that he hasn't done before in various ways. But still, that is insane. <laughs> we'll jam it for an hour or so. I'll get <laughs> yeah. it down. I'll take a little break. I'll come back in and I'll track the song. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, geez, Louise. All hail. That is, yeah, that is, if you ever doubted the this freaking talent of him. And, and so, yeah, so back to Metalocalypse again, I said 61 episodes, you know, then they had the Doomstar Requiem. Um, there was basically adult swim owns 
Death Clock and Metalocalypse. Yeah. And so that's been the problem with sort of putting out another uh, Death album or anything like that, or shopping the show around to to other places. Um, I know there was a crowdfunding campaign at one point. They were basically trying to get to the point where if they proved to Adult Swim that they could actually fund the show, could it get renewed? And it just never kind of came together. And yeah. so then he started doing this thing called uh, Galacticron, I think. And the second album of that was kind of like a um, leaning more towards like a, almost like an unlabeled death clock album sort of thing. But yeah, it didn't, it didn't end as well as it could have ended, but I mean, it had four seasons, 61 episodes, uh, which is pretty amazing. And they put out three albums. Now, the thing about these albums is that the first album, which is the one that we're talking about today, um, was the highest ranking death metal album on the billboard chart in history when it came out. Yeah. I I saw that on uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. That is nuts. I mean, you can make an arguments despite the name of the band and the name of the album and everything. You can make arguments about how much of this album is actually death metal, but still, you know, but the point, the point holds. Yeah. It's still pretty amazing that an album like this could get so high up the billboard chart. And that's just the power of television. Oh, unbelievable, dude. And then the, so the first one, and I had them all, I had them all laid out, but basically each subsequent album charted higher. So so I think it was 21, 15, and I want to say one, I'm going to look it up right now, but, uh, yeah, the second album, album? so the second album uh, premiered in uh, 2009. So it was 2007 was death album one, 2009 was death album two that went to number 15 on the, uh, billboard chart. And then the death album three was 2012 and it peaked at number 10 on the billboard 200. That is, and, Cause that's not really, you know, you're not really into the era of peak streaming, even in 2012, you know, the, the, the era, the, the full era of everybody just having streaming and going Spotify and Apple music and what have you really only kicked off maybe four years ago. Um, right. So now what was true yeah, is by that time, impressive. it took less albums to chart. It took less sales to chart higher on well, those sure, like subsequently, but that, but, but that just shows that the people who were buying these albums continued buying them <laughs> yes. while everybody else was not buying albums or less people were buying albums. The people who were buying this album, they carried on. They were still buying these albums. And yeah, that was enough to push right. them up the chart. That's amazing. So these were categorized as death metal albums. And they are the, they were each one subsequently became the highest charting death metal album on the Billboard 200. That's got to, I mean, that's got to sting for like some of the, you know, quote unquote real death metal bands. 100%. <laughs> However, when you look at the musicians and guest stars that this show has had over the years, World Dane, uh, Exodus, Ace Freely, Marty Friedman, uh, Kirk Hammett, James Hetfield, obviously Gene Hogan, Scott Ian, uh, King Diamond, Jeff Loomis, Mike Patton, uh, Joe Satriani, obviously not death metal, Devin Townsend. No, although uh, the fact that it could get somebody like Satriani is kind of amazing, actually. I mean, that speaks to popularity. Uh, I mean, as well as, you know, I'm sure Satriani's got a sense of humor and probably maybe finds the show funny, but because it is so far from his musical wheelhouse, 
that is quite impressive to have that much pull that you can get somebody like Satriani to come on the show. Right. So let's just talk a little bit more about the band before we jump into the album. So the fictional members of this band are Nathan Explo- Nathan Explosion, who is the lead singer, Squizgar Squigelf, uh, Toki Wartooth, who are the two guitar players, William Murderface, who is the bass player, and Pickles, the drummer. Those are your that's your uh, fictional band in this uh, particular thing. Now, of course. Of course, Nathan Explosion is, you know, the lead vocalist and is the sort of parody of a death metal vocalist. Uh, Squizgar is a, like an Ingve Malmsteen was the right. sort of, uh, you know, inspiration for him. Uh, Toki is the rhythm guitarist. And uh, he, he, w- he grew up in an abandoned town near Lillehammer, Norway, and he was forced to constantly perform manual labor by his abusive parents. That's his, that's his sort of uh, background there. Pickles, the drummer is a guy who used to be in a very guns and roses like band called snakes and barrels and snakes and barrels. His was his old band that he was the lead singer and guitar player of. So he has like a, a kind of a hair metal background. Uh, Murder face witnessed the uh, murder suicide of his parents when he was a small baby that he attributes to the fact that he was ugly. And so that's where his name comes, uh, murder face. <laughs> and he is the one guy who's not voiced by Brendan small in the band. Uh, Oh, actually no. Uh, Tommy Blocko, who's the co-creator voices, uh, Toki as well. So right. Brendan voices, uh, Nathan Squizgar and pickles. And so just that, like, I mean, there's so many nods to different, just band backgrounds and stuff oh, like that. Just stereotypical metal people. Yeah. A hundred percent dude. And all of which kind of goes towards the, we'll talk a lot about lyrical content in, as we get into the album, but this is a full, that, that that's why I can put this right next to spinal tap because the attention to detail and the uh, nods to the lore of metal and the history of metal and all of that stuff are just baked into literally everything of this band but the characters themselves are absolutely hysterical i mean just like um, squizgar who again is based on ingve is constantly talking about what a bad guitar player toki is he's just constantly <laughs> like and he's uh and he is like the the guitar maestro he is the guy who uh if there's any sort of challenge to the fact that he is the lead guitar player and he is the one who is the the absolute guitar wizard, like that will not be tolerated. Um, you know, pickles is the guy who is more than any of them, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, uh, past coming into the band. Murder face is just like, again, his name is murder face and he's completely miserable all the time. Uh, it's just so good. Like just, just their interactions together as a band and the things that they talk about in the show are so stupid that they're hysterical. Um, and it's all, and it all goes back to like, it, it, the whole thing is just a parody of the conversation of like, what is, what is the most metal thing? Because that's what they talk about. Like, what would be more metal? What if we did this? And it all to me goes back to like the, you know, amp with the numbers that go to 11 yeah. in spinal tap. Like, it's like, what, what is the most extreme version of whatever we can do here from a coffee jingle to, um, you know, anything we do with our concerts or anything like that. There's what it's just, there's so much good stuff to sort of dig into there. And again, like I said, it it can be hit and miss over the show. And 
And really, there are plenty of times where the show could be offensive. It is pretty graphic, uh, definitely violent, um, but all all under the you know auspices of like again, this is a death metal band who is the biggest entertainment juggernaut in the world, and everything that they do causes entire economies to shift and uh, political power and sort of world world events to happen and all of that kind of stuff. Like if, if death clock endorses something like all the other competitors immediately go out of business because death clock endorses this particular thing. There's one where they have cell phones and the cell phones are just like these jagged devices with all of these metal studs and blades coming out of it. You can't even talk on them because they're too metal. They're too like they're, they've been designed to be too metal. Like it's just so stupid. It, it reminds me almost of like, the level of over the topness of like airplane and police squad and stuff like that. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Um, and then it has like this lore that underpins it all. It's just kind of crazy, but, um, yeah, I could go on, but there's, uh, (laughs) I don't know where it's streaming right now, but I'm sure you can find a billion clips, if not entire episodes on, uh, online on YouTube, on things like that. And if, people have sort of favorite episodes that they think are like a really good representation of the show or a really particularly funny episode, like definitely put those in the Facebook thread for people that haven't watched the show yet. But um, the thing that always drew me to it was the fact that it was funny. It was from a creative team that I had followed through other things. I was shocked and amazed at how good the music was. And then that solidified for me, you know, my real enjoyment of the show was I really looked forward to whatever new snippet of a song you were going to get in a particular episode and how stupid it was going to be. Yeah. Part of the reason that I never saw it was because it was on Adult Swim. And I mean, I'm not sure about now, but certainly at the time, the only way to get that here in the UK was with some kind of, you know, pay TV, satellite, cable, whatever subscription uh, that that I don't have. Um, And so I'd heard of it because I'd heard friends like you and, you know, other people in the States talk about it. Uh, but I didn't really know much about it. And I don't know, I didn't sort of feel compelled to seek it out. Um, yep. uh, because I just wasn't really sure what it was. Uh, that's, I mean, and I didn't look into it, obviously. Uh, if I'd known at the time that it was put together by an actual metalhead, because I think that's the thing. When I first saw it, I just assumed, not really for any reason, but just because historically this has been the case, I assumed that it was put together by somebody who once heard a Metallica song and thought, sure. hey, that would make 100%. a good TV show. Um, and let's be honest, you know, most of the time, it's like when you, you watch these movies and, you know, some band, like and a real band like Cannibal Corpse or something, you know, will be on stage in the back of a club if a scene for 10 seconds. And you just know that the director has no idea who they are. They just looked up, you know, find me a heavy metal band to like put on stage here. And it's just, it's awful. Um, and so I thought that would be, that this would be like that. So if yep. I'd known that it was put together by an actual metalhead who literally wrote all the songs and everything himself and cared about that shit, then maybe I would have, you know, been more keen to seek it out. And reading up about it in preparation for this episode, though still without having watched any, uh, has made me more inclined to go and find, yeah, some of the better episodes and watch them and and see if I enjoy it. And maybe I will. I mean, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I don't know. But I'm certainly more inclined to give it a look now that I know that. Um, 
just because, yeah, as I say, you know, in the past, when stuff like this has been done by people who don't know the genre, it's almost always terrible. <laughs> right. Yep. And I think that you'll find that while the humor may be hit and miss sometimes, like the the reverence for metal is always well, and there. the awareness of metal. It's not. It's not uh, even the, really the awareness. It's, yes, that's yeah, a better it, way of putting it. it as totally. you said about things like you know knowing what the tropes of metal are. Um, makes a huge difference because you can tell when somebody's faking it. You can with any subculture. Uh, so yeah, as I say, I will, you know, I'll be more inclined to go and have a look for it and see if I can find it online or something. Um, yep. I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, that he wants this to be a band and that, you know, he's done the tour, the live tours and he's yep. performed at festivals with the band. And I read one piece where he said that, he wanted this album to be almost like what would an actual album by death clock be, uh, you know, almost as if it's kind of in that meta sense of like, Oh no, this is almost like an in, in, in universe album for uh, sure. As it were, I thought that was all really interesting. Um, and it's impressive that it's all written by him, you know, and, and all performed by him apart from the drums. And like I say, that's, I'm sure in the show that he uses a drum machine instead. So being able to program a drum machine well enough to sound like something that Gene Hoagland might do is also pretty impressive as somebody who's programmed a drum machine or two in his time. Believe me, uh, that is that in itself is pretty impressive. So yeah, the whole album is, I looked at the personnel, there's four people. The entire yeah. album is Brendan Small, Gene Hoagland, and between them, they do all basically all the music. And then you've got Tommy yeah. Blacker guests doing some VO. And Emily Autumn plays all the violins on Death Harmonic, the last track. Um, yep. And that's it. That's all the musicians. So, like, again, really impressive. Um, he also co-produced it with uh, Ulrich Wilde, who was an engineer, funnily enough, on Astro Creep 2000, the White Zombie album. Um, there you go. And also went on to produce a bunch of Static X albums, like Static X's first two albums, I think, and then some of the later ones as well. He's produced Soil and Otep and has now also produced Brendan Small's solo album, apparently, which I've never heard, but that's what online, you know, Wikipedia and stuff tells me. Um, and I have to say that the production from a sound standpoint is great. Like, musically, everything sounds really crunchy and heavy, but it is also very clear. Um, yep. You know, it, it, it sounds great. It's a really well-put-together album. But I'm going to break your heart because that is not enough to save it for me. Um, I, I think part of this is probably expectation. I, you probably haven't heard of them, but over here in the early '90s in the UK, there was a band called Lawnmower Death, uh, which was which was also I have spelled, not heard of them. It was also spelled D E T H, by the way. Um, they were a notorious thrash parody band. They were mm-hmm. even signed to E or Eight Records, for heaven's sake. And they wrote really, really heavy shit, but with silly comedy lyrics. Uh, and the music was sometimes daft as well. And it just took the piss out of metal stereotypes. Um, so they had songs like Did You Spill My Pint? And Ooh yeah. Crikey, which was a 10-second piss take of Napalm Death. Uh, yeah. And Satan's Trampoline. Things like, it was puerile, juvenile. It was really fucking funny. And this obviously is not that. And I think maybe... Maybe that's part of it. You know, that's my sort of previous or my introduction, if you like, to comedy metal. And this is very different. This is much more of, well, musically, 
it is a straight metal album. You know, musically, right. this is a heavy metal album. There's no sort of attempt to be funny with the music, um, which, you know, fair enough. But as a comedy album, for me, it just doesn't, it's not funny enough. Um, and I think, I'm sure that a lot of it works better in the context of the show. That's why I was wondering about whether you get whole songs in the show or snippets, because yeah. within the context of the show, I'm sure some of these songs when you only hear an excerpt are much funnier uh, and much better and obviously if you like the show you're probably going to like this album more because you have that association of you know the show itself and the episodes with the songs but so there's a there's a different context there but that's kind of that's kind of what i'm getting at i guess in that this is a different context and uh, in that context, just just taken, coming to it purely clean as I did, taken as a, you know a metal parody slash comedy album, it just for me it falls way short. Uh, most of the songs are much longer than you, you know than they should be to be funny. Um, uh, they're but because of that they just go on they go on too long and they over explain themselves in places. It's kind of, you know those Saturday Night Live sketches. You know the ones I mean, where they make the same joke like five For times. For sure. And then they explain the joke to you, and then they'll make it another five times, just to make sure that you got it. Uh, there's a lot of songs on this album that feel like that to me, unfortunately. Um, now, it's not all bad. There are three or maybe four songs on here that actually made me laugh, like properly made me laugh. Um, and there's a couple of them that are also, I think, good parodies of existing bands and styles. I wish more of them had been parodies. I wish more of them had been uh, direct. This is a piss take of Metallica. This is a piss take of Pantera. This is a piss take of Slayer, sure. that sort of thing, you know? Um, rather than, yeah, just kind of straight up metal songs with, to my mind, just not very interesting lyrics. Musically, here's the real thing that annoys me about this album. Musically, it's really good. I really like the music on this album. It's clear that Smalls is a great musician. He's a great music songwriter you know he knows how to put a riff together he knows how to arrange a song but the lyrics and the vocals really spoil it for me i don't like his vocals at all um i i wish he had a different vocalist i wish he wasn't doing or that he was just doing a different style because he clearly can because on hatred copter that clean voice that's him as well that's him singing yes yeah yeah so he clearly can do other styles of singing and i kind of wish that he did um, and that, I'm sure that would defeat the point, but you know, um, I, I don't like the delivery. His growl isn't very powerful and I just don't think it actually works well with, uh, with this music. Um, and as we said earlier, like most, despite the title, most of this actually isn't death metal at all. So I'm afraid for me, this one kind of goes on the same pile with like Motley Crue and, uh, Judas Priest, where it's like, I can appreciate parts of it but um it's not going to be one in my regular rotation sorry man sure well this also goes in the pile with motley Crue and judas priest for me for you um, yeah <laughs> which is on the complete other, <laughs> other i know i know um <laughs> i i'm prone to hyperbole but i wish all death metal sounded like this oh, that's man. how much i love this album um and i think i think first off though i think you just described it and I wonder if if you do visit the show and you find 
anything within that show that that sort of clicks with you if that would give you a different perspective on this because i am unable to separate like to exactly. me yeah this is not um i don't even think of brendan small as the person making the music on this album the uh, i do think of gene hoagland but i almost think of gene hoagland as the drummer for death clock Sure. Like that's how I almost see this. And to me, this album is a, this is a death clock album and this is an actual band. And I think it's because having seen so much of the show, they're inseparable for me. So when I think about these songs and I, and I listen to these songs, like I don't see Gene Hoagland and Brendan Small, I see death clock playing these songs. And so it is impossible for me to separate. And I'm most, I'm sure that that contributes a great deal of my enjoyment to this. Um, from a lyrical standpoint, I adore the lyrics on this album because I, I find them to be such a ridiculous parody of things that metal bands actually write about completely serious. And I think from a from a band standpoint, like it takes itself seriously. Like it's a legitimate serious attempt at at parodying these. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's almost like it's not a weird Al Yankovic album. Like it's not a, um, it's not a stand up comedians, uh, album. It is an album that is intended to be a metal album. And the parody is almost entirely from a lyrical standpoint, because the metal is meant to be awesome. <laughs> like it's, that's not meant to necessarily even be, um, a parody of like other bands, even though there are songs where the influences of, of those other bands are very clear. Yeah, I think, yeah. I wonder which, which songs will hit on that, um, that sort of do that. But yeah, I, f- I feel like the parody element is in the caricatures of the members of death clock and in the lyrical content. Right. But um, I mean, the, the members, obviously that doesn't really come across in the lyrics. A hundred percent. And yeah. I can see you're right that the the attempt at parody is there in the uh, well no no I mean an attempt that that's unfair to say the parody is there in the lyrics but I just don't as I say there are a few that they did don't make me laugh you. but yeah and a lot of them I just don't find the parody funny and not no. be, not not because I'm offended by it or anything I just don't think the jokes are very good. <laughs> well, and and I think. I think where the disconnect may be for a lot of those ones is that you're absolutely right. Most of these songs are tied directly to an episode where the songs serve the story of the episode. Exactly. And yeah. so, um, and we'll touch on those as we go, just to provide a little content for other people who may not have seen any of those episodes or anything like the, the, there are specific moments or something from different episodes that kind of tie into sure. uh, certain songs and we'll hit on not every single one, but certainly some of those but yeah i i'm i'm trying to imagine coming to this album with no frame of reference for death clock or metalocalypse and I, i'm too far down the rabbit hole yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I, I can't i can't separate those things but well, um I, I actually like the fact that you didn't like it because i think it makes it more interesting of an album to discuss because for me i would even put this album in a desert island album category like i can listen to this album 15 times in a row and not get sick of it at all. Uh, and, and in listening to get prepped for this episode, um, and I listened to this album a shit ton over the past like three weeks, um, different songs. I like better now than I liked before. There were some songs that I almost felt like were throwaway songs before that have become songs that I really like 
think are now among my favorites of the album. And so the more I listen to it, the more I'm even uh, getting from it now. And I think to to go back to the Gene Hoagland thing, um, I think definitely when you listen to a lot of other Hoagland stuff, there's a lot more elaborate drumming happening on a lot of his other stuff. But there's so many nice little uh, tidbits that he kind of throws in throughout this album that... Well, that's one area where I wish that they'd used his skills more in a way in that there are yeah and again we'll get to the individual tracks but there are places in this album where he is clearly imitating somebody else's style and i wish he'd done that more you know i wish there was well, and more he talked about struggling music. not struggling but he did talk about that in that interview that i cited earlier um from i think it was an invisible oranges I, I closed the tab now but i think it was where basically he was talking about like how he's introduced to the song and he tracks it but he was talking about how you know pickles as a character on the show is a drummer that came from a sort of a hair metal background. And he, because he hasn't had the time to like inhabit that character and create a drum style that was specific to that character. A lot of, uh, a lot of his sort of foundational techniques are part of what pickles drumming is, you know? And so, um, but also that, he's trying to serve the story and serve the characters a little bit and stuff like that. So there is kind of a bit of a, not an identity crisis there, but some friction there of like, if he had it to do from the get go, yeah, of, I mean, like if he had been one of the co-creators of the show, if he was a cast member or something, yeah, a hundred percent dude. And yeah. they were like, okay, we want you to create a drum style for this character. Uh, I think that would have been, yeah. I have no doubt he could have done that and yeah. he would have, yeah, it would have been brilliant 100%. because he is such a great yeah. drummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, what I was going to say was that like having, now that I've said all of that, you know, and <laughs> got that part out of the way, I am going to try because like I say, musically, I really like this album. So I am going to try and focus on what I do like about each song. It's just that that is mostly going to be the music. Sure. Well, the, the good news is um, because I absolutely love the lyrics that'll be a good uh, two sides of the same coin. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right, well then let's get into it. Uh, So yeah, it's, what is it? 15 songs, 16, 16, if you count the show's theme tune, which is a hidden track at the end. Um, Right. But yeah, 15 songs, 52 minutes. So, I mean, they're not overly long. Um, You know, most of them are relatively short, but still it's, as I say, I think four and a half minutes is the longest song and it might be death harmonic at the end. Yeah. 431 is death harmonic. And that is the longest song on the entire album. Oh, that reminds me. Go on. Um, Did I just close it? I might've just closed it. Um, I was going to pull up the bass player for the third deaf album but uh anyways let's let's dive into this first song here so the first song is mermaider Check. 
It's a song about being murdered by mermaids. Yeah, or is it? Or is it? See, this is this is now. I will say, this is probably my third or fourth favorite song on the album. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it is definitely in the top half of the album. But why would mermaids need to worry about <laughs> leaving evidence in a crime? It's just he, well, because what the song is about. They're mermaids. Is it's about a human who, because there are no fingerprints deep underwater. Anthony, and nothing to tie one to a crime, you can go and murder a mermaid underwater. But halfway through the song, what he says, once you quench your bloodthirst, others will seek vengeance on you. And so it's about the mermaids coming back to seek vengeance on the mermaid murderer. Oh, that okay. Is, All right. All right. That's, that, yeah. that is the journey that we take in this song, which I think is freaking hysterical. I mean, first off, let's just talk from a musical standpoint about how you have essentially like the whale sounds, right? The the underwater, underwater echoey um, sort of guitars at the beginning, right? Before you even get the, the chugging. It's just this kind of underwater feeling to the actual uh, atmosphere of the song before the, the song even really kicks up. Yeah. Which I, I love. It, the, the thing that I noticed first and sort of most obvious about this is that the the very first thing you get drum wise is triplets is Hoagland's famous yep. double kick triplets. And I was like, I don't know whether that's deliberate on small's part or whether Hoagland himself decided wanted to open it that way. But the very first drumming that you hear is Hoagland doing triplets. It just, that in itself did amuse me because I was just like, okay, well, it's like, how could you listen to this and not go, oh, that's Gene Hoagland on drums. Right. <laughs> um, it, it is, it's a shame that it takes until the middle eight before you get a chord change essentially in this song. That's the, because the chorus is basically the same as the verse and it doesn't right. like, progress or rise or anything. So that's why it's, like I say, it's in the top half, but it's not, you know, favorite track or anything. It's not a bad opener, but it could have been better. And my favorite part musically is the the murder, mermaid murder bit. But it's where, so good, dude. Right. But musically, that's the best bit for me as well. And it's oh, a shame it, uh, that you I, have to wait until you get to that part, you know? I 100% agree. And I would also say how many slayer songs are you waiting to that one riff that we get to in the song where it breaks down (laughs) and it is the one piece that you take away from that song and so i don't want to say that that's completely by design but i also don't want to say that that's not completely by design you know in in the sense that um, we did talk about that on the slayer episode didn't we yeah that's true yeah i mean and and you can uh i just remember back in the day like saying oh this is the this is the thrash part this is the mosh part of the song like this is the and anthrax i think had a lot of songs like that too where it's like um once you get to that breakdown it's like that's the piece of the song that you actually remember and i think in this particular song um where it is going murder mermaid murder and the chord changes are there and stuff like that sort of like uh soaring more epic approach that is very much what many of the songs here have many of these songs have like this moment in the song where they just sort of like take it up to this uh epically metal level is you know how i kind of think about it in terms of the the spinal tap like approach of the band and um but the lyrics to me are hysterical because it it is um 
someone goes and murders him. And, and the whole thing is like, there's actually a t-shirt I saw somewhere that someone made with the checklist that is given in this song. Where, <laughs> okay, that's funny. <laughs> so you've got knives, rope, dagger, chains, locks, laser beams, acid, body bag. That's the first checklist. And then when the mermaids come for you, they'll have their shiv, their pipe, their hammer, their axe, subject, location, desire, vengeance. Like, just the fact that that changes from actual instruments of destruction to the to-do list. Like, do we have the subject, the location, the desire? The desire for vengeance. And then actual vengeance is a checklist item on that checklist. I just freaking love that. Like, that, that is hysterical to me. And so... But the fact that the album opens with a song about murdering and then being murdered by mermaids. What a, what they, a great opener. Was this in uh, an episode of the show? Well, there was an episode of the show called Death Water, and it is about the band recording an album inside of a nuclear submarine in the Mariana Trench. Because they, and so they, uh, because they think it's going to make it more metal. And so, and the guy who is the producer, his name is, uh, his name is Dick Nubler. That's the Dick Magic Ears Nubler is the name of the producer that gets sent because Death Clock has been working on this album for a great deal of time and hasn't been able to put it together yet. So they essentially send in almost like a Bob Rock, sort of like a fixer to come in and work with them. And then he is won over by the band and becomes their longtime producer after that. Um, but yeah, like they have a, a moment where they are basically taking Toki and putting him in uh, sort of a glass case and like lowering him further even down so that he can record his guitars in like the deepest part of the Mariana Trench. Like it, like that is that's the stupidity of the show. So yeah, there's there's a couple of songs that tie into that um, Death Water episode everything every title of every episode has death in it at some point in time um but yeah this was about like uh or uh, recording an album underwater so there's a couple albums that have to do with like sea creatures and so uh and there's a video i think for mermaider out there somewhere if i find it i'll I'll link it so you could put it in the show notes but yeah um and then it just ends with your life was ended by mermaids like so (laughs) it's so good and then it goes back to like those whale like underwater uh sort of sounds to end the song i just as an opener i love this song <laughs> well all right well i assume that the next track is also from that same session then because that's track two is go into the water
that, Anthony, but it is not actually oh, okay. from that episode. <laughs> it is from an episode called The Metalocalypse Has Begun, which is the season finale of the first episode. And this is where they're preparing to play their uh, new album for the first time. And one of the Illuminati group that has been monitoring their activities uh, is a general who is kind of like Thunderbolt Ross in his quest for the Hulk. He just wants to kill Death Clock. And so he is um, basically bringing in a strike team to take out Death Clock during this episode as they're preparing to play their new album for the first time. And I forget where they were playing it. but the assassin that they hire to kill Death Clock is voiced by Cannibal Corpse's Corpse Grinder. Oh, excellent! That, yeah, that that he is the one who uh, you know is the assassin that comes to uh, to kill them. Um, and I forget where they're they're basically playing their new album for fish. They're playing the new album for because it was recorded underwater. They're playing it to sea creatures, and so in this particular song they're talking to the fish themselves and they're talking about how, you know, the join us. uh, We call out to the sea, to the beasts of the sea to come and come forth and join us. This night is yours. They're saying this as they're playing their concert uh, to the sea creatures, because one day we will all be with you in the black and deep. One day we will all go into the water. (laughs) So he's talking about how humanity is going to uh, basically devolve into sea creatures at some point. And live in the water with uh, with all the the sea creatures that are there right now, and the whole song is about that, which is just crazy. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a great example of what I mentioned before of like one of the songs that I would love to hear this in a different context. Like with musically, I think it is one of the strongest on the album, if not possibly the strongest on the album. It's got great riffs. Yep. The opening is great and heavy. That chorus riff with the string bends, and it almost sounds like a Brian May style lead guitar. Uh, dude, yes. It, there's so much Queen in this album. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. Like this whole song musically is absolutely top notch, but the lyrics yeah, don't do a lot for me. And again, I the can vocals, totally see that, dude. If you have never watched this show, like, what the hell does this song even mean? And it's not really well, no, long I enough could, to tell the full story. Right. I mean, and, I could uh, get that it's about devolving and going back into the sea. Sure. Obviously, I, I didn't have the context of them performing it for the fish. But even so, I just, I, just, I don't know, it's just not that interesting. Um, but it's mainly the vocals on this song. Like, this is such a soaring musical song that the vocals just don't do it for me. They, they don't fit, uh, unfortunately. It's a real shame because, like I say, this is absolutely up there. This is you know, in one of the, like the top one or two musically top one or two songs on the album. No question. Sure. Like I just love the, um, first of all, I love the way he says water every time that he <laughs> says the word water. Um, oh, that's the, but the you part you've got to, when you're doing the death metal growl, you've got to put on a weird accent. That's the law. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And then, uh, or so bad, depending on how you look at it. But when he's talking about how will rise, and then as you mentioned, that sort of queenish, uh, you know, riffs come in, and then when he says, release yourselves, drown with me, you get that sort of, that build, and then uh, it just kind of, gone are days of land empires, that kind of stuff, like where it sort of slows down. And I love the snare of Gene Hoagland on this song. I just love how he kind of switches it up on this song. The drums, I, I really, really like on this song as well. Yeah. 
And it's a nice, um, to me, it's a nice sort of, not contrast, but compliment to the first song because it's not, it's not like the first song. It's not the same. Yeah. 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 And then, um, of course, after that one, we get to song number three, which is Awaken. just give you the quick backstory to this one but this uh particular one is tied to an episode uh, episode called death troll where the band goes to finland and accidentally awakens the troll musta krakish which is the name that he keeps saying they the yeah. song that they sing is a summoning rite that brings this finnish troll out of the <laughs> out of the water to go on a rampage and destroy entire cities and, I figured uh, it was something like that. I thought it was a bit more Cthulhu-ish, but I didn't know it was a troll. But yeah, I mean, that does come across in the lyrics. Yeah, and James Hetfield in the episode is the one that voices the troll itself. <laughs> and so, um, and the troll is killed, to go back to what I was talking to you about earlier, the troll is killed when they use their cell phones, their their uh, metal-designed cell phones, to choke the troll to death. Um that's how the troll in this particular episodes right. die. Uh, but it is pretty. And Kirk Hammett does a voice in here as well. I, I forget who he voices in this one, but uh, yeah. So death troll is the name of this episode. So as you might imagine, this is a, uh, a summoning right for the troll. And he's talking about how he summons. The, I'm the conjurer of demons. I'm the father of your death. I bring forth the ancient evil. I control his every breath. And that's exactly what happens in the episode. He doesn't know at the time that he's going to summon the troll, but they do. And then yeah, the troll just goes yeah. on a rampage. Well, um, and lyrically, I mean, th- that's, yeah, that's a perfect example of the lyrics of this song. Like lyrically, this is basically a straight up metal song. For um, sure. And, and that's not a bad thing. You know, they're not bad lyrics. This is basically a metal song. There's no attempt to be funny in the lyrics. And it if does you put these lyrics work. on any 80s. Yeah. Like metal 90s. album. I mean, a, a yeah, modern totally one, dude. you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's fine. Um, and, and it, like I say, and it works in context with this one because it, musically, again, I really like this one. This is full on melodic thrash. I actually yep. didn't know about the Metallica connection in this episode, but it doesn't surprise me at all because this is one of the most Metallica ish songs on the album. Um, but again, it's the vocals for me that, that let it down. Can you imagine if you had this song by someone like Miller Petrosa? Can you imagine right. how powerful Screaming. the song would yeah, be? Because yeah. it's full of blast beats and really good riffs. Uh, one of my favorite musical bits is the rise up from your thousandth year of sleep bit where you've got oh, the hammer, so the good, hammer snares on the beat for the yep. first couple of bars. 
and then it loosens up in and everything into the four four beat and the chords ring. That's that's really good. I like yes, that a lot. dude. That's exactly that's such a great point. That's such a great little um, like Gene Hoagland yeah tidbit on this album. You know what I mean? And he does stuff like that throughout the album where he's it's just those little nuances that are really really great. Yeah, and just the the sort of furious pace that this song builds to where he's to, you know rise 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 toward the end and awaken. Um, it's just really good. I, I like it. I, I totally understand. Like, if you don't like his delivery, that's going to, that's going to make a real, all of these songs suffer it for puts sure. puts a real damper on things. Yeah. And like I say, it's yep. such a shame because a song like this, you know, again, you could put this on a quote unquote real metal bands album, uh, and it would work. It would absolutely work, but you would, for my mind, need a different vocalist. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and Sorry, I think Brandon. again, this is where this is where my um, well, because you're you so know, used to it from the show. That I think hundred percent, like that is yeah. he is the singer of this band. It doesn't it doesn't even occur to me that this yeah. would be a different um, sort of thing. And so, uh, but that also sets expectations coming in, right? Because you know what he sounds like before you even start listening to this album. So it's not like you hear the music and you're expecting to 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 sort of hear a different type of vocal. So right. I do yeah. I do think like if you weren't familiar with that that could totally set up a false expectation of like, well, the music sounds like this. And then this is the delivery. Yeah. Um, but when I say like, I wish all death metal sounded like this, like I freaking love his, his uh, death metal voice. <laughs> That's like just the right amount of like gravel for me, but it's almost like whisper gravel. It uh, really is. Yeah. 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 It, and it, for whatever reason, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's move on then to track four blood recuted. Now, Blood Recuted, the premise of this song is so ridiculous that I, it, it's not even one of my favorite songs on the album, but it becomes like a song that I love because of how stupid it is. Let's say at the beginning, and I don't know if this is tied to a particular episode, I'd have to look at it, but just the first thing that he says, you've been targeted in the night by violent mercenaries. Your identity's been confused with one that looks like you. That's the premise of the song. Is that some poor it's sap? A mistaken identity. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. a mistaken identity, and he's being chased by hitmen. And and you're a simple man living life. You are an electrician, but there's a bounty on your head, a billion unmarked traveler's checks. <laughs> like that first paragraph in and of itself is perfect. And so the way that this song is describing that this gentleman is going to defeat the people that are trying to kill him because he's an electrician. <laughs> is he thinks back to his high school class. Wait now, what did they say about the human body and proportions of things? Blood is an energy conductor. 
I am full of that. All I need is an outlet. So he decides through the course of this song that he is going to lure the killers that are after him mistakenly to an electrical plant where he will then spill his own blood on the concrete floor and then use the power lines to electrocute the guys that are trying to kill him. Yeah, it's the old electrocute the guy standing in the puddle, except the puddle is of his blood. (laughs) And they'll be bloodrocuted. You'll be bloodrocuted. That is the freaking song. Uh, That is the dumbest, but also awesomest. Just is it like just the idea, just the premise of that song is so stupidly hysterical to me. Um, targeted wrongly by mercenaries, and you will kill them by electrocuting them in a pool of your own blood. I mean that that's and thereby just, killing yourself, and thereby killing yourself because you can't stop the bleeding after that. But at least you've you've uh, taken out the people that are trying to take you out, so you've won, but then you've also lost. Um, so stupid. And yet, so hysterical to me. It's, um, and, and a good example of like this one actually tells a story throughout the entire that's song. True. Yeah, yeah. Like there is I, a full story in this song. It starts way too similar to the end of the previous track. That's my yes. uh, problem with how you know it's like it's exactly the same tempo. It's kind of the same riff. Um, yeah. You know, which is weird. Just like I don't know why. Why wouldn't you switch the order, track order placement around to avoid that? Um, totally dude and that's why it's not one of my favorite songs on the album but the the rhythm riff um outside of the intro there is is a more groovy i sort I've of got riff a note than we've that, gotten so far i've got a note that the verse riff is my favorite thing about this song because yep. all those open Agreed. sliding chords sounds a bit dimebag yes and there's a couple songs on this album that that i think well, capture yes. that vibe but this yes. is a good one the, the, um, but it's only the only the verse riff. The rest of the yep. song for me doesn't live up to it, but I, I do like that verse riff. That's, you know, that's quality. Well, and that's where I think musically uh, one criticism that can be levied against different songs at different times in this album is because of the way that they were probably initially put together. There are elements of songs that don't work as well. Mm. And you can almost see like, oh, well, that puzzle piece that he put into this song, eh, that's not the great, like the intro on this song, right? Like there's a really great rhythm riff there, but the intro and the placement, maybe not as great. And so, yeah, there are, and that's why this song is not one of the, like, I love the story behind it because it's so ridiculous, but it's not one of my favorite songs in the album. Yeah. All right. Well, then let me surprise you. We'll move on to track five, which is Go Forth and Die. This 
is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Uh, well, then you and I agree, my friend, because it, it is my favorite. It's way too long. It, it is a good example of what is I was talking about though? earlier. No, it is. It is. It is way too long. But it is the first song on the album that actually made me laugh. Uh, it's so like proper laugh out loud because Go good. Forth, Be Conquered is such a... <laughs> It's such a lovely direct subversion of all the kind of battle hymn style metal songs that, you know, that we, that we know and love. And that genuinely made me laugh out loud. Um, open up your textbooks and turn to the chapter concerning your death. Oh like my that. God. It's that's so that, good. That to me sounds like a ghost lyric and I don't know whether that's deliberate uh, or what, but in the context of this song, it becomes pretty funny. Um, well, musically I'm half and half. I like the chorus because of that slightly unusual rhythm to it. Uh, and the middle eight solo section is good, but the verse and the go die bits, they're boring. And that's why I think it's too long because it just, towards the end, it just gets really repetitive without also being interesting. Um, but it is, it's definitely, again, in the top half of the album, definitely one of the better songs. Well, so first of all, this song is from an episode that is about Nathan Explosion attempting to earn his GED. His what? Okay. And his GED, his his uh, basically his high school uh, graduate certificate. Oh, okay, right. And so, but this this whole song is imagine like him giving. Uh, th- this to me reads like a graduation address, where people are saying, "Go forth and do great things. Go forth and you oh, know, change right, the right. world. Go forth and he's saying, go forth and be conquered. Go forth and die.'" And the whole song is an indictment of what a waste of time it is to, to go to school. Uh, now you've graduated, mind is mutilated, thrust into the world, feeling segregated, move in with your parents, back into the dark, landed where you started, Bachelor of Arts. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Dude, like, this this song, I love it the most because it, it hurts. It actually, it, it like, is hysterical, but also hurtful as someone who spent you know spent money and time to go to college like it is there's a lot of truth uh being put in this song now um and then and then at some point uh now you're sad and frightened want to go and hide maybe get your master's eight more years inside dream of your own murder strangled by the ivy ivy league schools obviously drown in student loans better off just dying dude <laughs> this song no i mean is, from a, let's say it is good it is the it's the best lyrics on the album up to this point no question it's actually a very dark as much of a period as it is like it's pretty brutal oh sure and but that's why that it's is funny the thing, oh my god <laughs> i love it i love this uh, i love the music i don't i guess i don't think it goes on too long because that riff is just so killer to me you could play it for five hours straight and I would never get sick of it. Like I honestly, like I could listen, I don't repeat songs like over the course of an album when I'm listening all the way through, but I could just listen to this album 15, this song 15 times in a row. I love it. And the lyrics are so good that they just cut like perfect. And, um, and I also feel like the guitar solos in this song are very mournful. They're very, um, Almost, they have a despair to them that I think matches the lyrics of this song really well. I actually think it's maybe one of the better 
even though it's a parody song, like it's a, it's just a great song. I really, really love this song. Yeah, well, like I say I do like the the middle eight and the solo. Uh, I've got noted as like, yeah, they're, they're definitely along with the chorus. Uh, you know, some of the better musically, some of the better parts of this song for sure. Um, but yeah, unlike you, I I couldn't listen to it for five hours. <laughs> oh my god, I love it! I can't get enough of it. Uh, uh, well, let's, let's move on to track six, fan song. You people out there give us something more than just record sales. You give us something to hate, and we hate you. You brainless mutants. This is a straight up parody, but it it perfectly captures the way that Death Clock think about their fans in the show. That they, uh, you know, he says, "You people give us out there give us something more than just record sales. You give us something to hate, and we hate you, you brainless mutants." And the whole song is basically just about abusing their own fans. And I think it was from the episode where they opened up the Death Clock headquarters, which is like this hellscape of a of a of an HQ. Uh, to let their fans come in like a fan appreciation day sort of thing. But um, the whole song is just about how much they hate their fans. And I actually feel like um, I like this song, but I feel like it's one of the weaker songs on the album. And maybe it's just because the lyrics themselves are almost too on the nose for me that they don't, I don't get anything out of these particular lyrics. Although I do like some of the solos on this album. I I like the lead guitar part on this album, but the, um, the main riff here is just kind of repeated in the chorus, just a a little bit differently. Right. Like it's not, it's just a kind of plotting song, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. This one really does very, very little for me. Uh, I, I think the concept of the lyrics is funny, but the lyrics themselves are not like it's the, the execution of the lyrics I think is, as you say, it's too on the nose. Um, and it's just, yeah, you know, just not funny. Um, musically, the best bit for me is the hate, hate, hate section, with that <laughs> yeah. rising chord progression. That's, that's good. That's actually kind of, you know, musically that's nice. And obviously yeah. hate, hate, hate is, well, you could hear that in any metal song. Um, but the rest of it, yeah, I'm not into this one at all. I'm afraid. Yeah. This, for me, it's the solos. That's the lead guitar work that stands out the most on this one. Cause everything else is, is kind of vanilla. Yeah. Um, Well, let's move on then to track seven, Better Metal Snake.
So this one is not tied directly to an episode, but the story that I pull from it is that you have uh, sort of in medieval times uh, a kingdom that is destroyed by a dragon. And so the ruler of that kingdom decides to build their own mechanical dragon that is going to a better metal snake, if you will, that is going to come back and uh, seek revenge. Yeah, that's pretty much what I got from it as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I just like I like the the high of the course, better metal snake. Like I I do like that. Um, I also like the sort of layering, and they do this in several songs on this album. But like, there's this sort of layering of guitars as we all sort of build towards the conclusion of the song, the climax of the song, where there's uh, I do really like that. Yeah, this is another one I'm not really into. Uh, the, the main verse isn't bad. It sounds like a Static X riff, uh, which again, uh-huh. I think probably isn't deliberate. Ooh, that's a good one. But it, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, you know, it and, does. And, now that you mention it, I did not put that together, but you're yeah. right. And I really like Static X, so, you know, I like that riff. But overall, this song doesn't do it for me. The, the better metal snake bit is kind of... I'm not sure if it's meant to be funny or not. It is a little bit funny, a little bit cheesy, but but it's not actually very good uh, to my ears. And even though it's only three and a half minutes long, again, it, this kind of feels like it goes on a bit. You know, you could cut probably like the last two verses and chorus here, and I don't think you'd lose anything from the song. Um, so yeah, not for me. Yeah, I feel like this is the mid-album sort of dip. It really is. Here yeah. with these two songs back to back, because then when we bounce into the next song, which is The Lost Vikings... This is the Amana Marth song, I feel oh, like, yes. in this, <laughs> no question, in this one yeah. for sure. <laughs> and I adore this song because it's about a group of Vikings that are too proud to ask for directions. And so they die without ever finding the battle that they're going to fight when they, yeah. when they ride out of their uh, village, which I think is absolutely hysterical. And <laughs> the story of it is so good. Uh at one point, it says, we come upon a witch who takes us in to let us share her mighty fire. Then she asks of us, us of our story, and we lie and say we ride around for hire because they don't want to tell her they're lost. Yeah. She asks if we'd like to have her map and points us in some direction. But we are far too proud and strong, so we keep silent and ignore her suggestion. <laughs> and then it just ends with lost, but still we ride, search until we die. All the fault of pride, the gods weep in the night. And it's yeah. literally them just riding forever until they die and they never get to where they're going. 
this is my favorite track on the album. This is oh the best God, track on so the album good. for me. It is it's yeah. such an obvious like mute. And this is this is what I mean about like he clearly can do good parodies because musically this is obviously a parody of a monomath style Viking metal. Uh-huh. Has some great, but but they are also great riffs. They are good yep. Viking metal riffs. The concept is funny. The execution of the lyrics is funny. Like the idea that I mean, one of the other one of the sort of additional uh, layers of the humor in this that I took is that you know there, there's that typical thing of men who won't admit that they're lost and ask 100%. for directions, which is a thing. That's a real thing, Absolutely. you know, with the wife going, just ask them to bring the man's like, no, no, I'm going to find where it is. I've got the map. You know, that's a real thing. And so, yeah, the lyrics here, the timing of the lyrics, the timing of how the jokes are revealed, it all works really, really well. Um, and yeah, as I say, as a result, this is for me, the overall by far the best track on the album. If they were all of this quality, I would absolutely love this album. Um, the one thing, the one criticism I have of this track, and it's not a bad thing, but it's where they missed a trick. I think about a third of the way through after you realize they're lost with the line, but we won't stop searching. There's 16 bars where the music doesn't do anything like 30 seconds. It just falls completely flat. And yeah, but then it's followed by a musical shift up to the solo part where they do the, um, what is it? I'm just looking through the lyrics where he goes, the, the we ride bit. Now, if they'd moved that up 30 seconds yep. instead, and that had come immediately after the, but we won't stop searching. I really think that would have given, because the, the, we won't stop searching. That's a joke. That's part of the joke revelation. And I think it would have actually made the joke funnier if it had then gone into this, you know, triumphant sounding guitar solo part. Uh, I just think that, yeah, as I say, I think they kind of missed a trick, but that is very much a kind of a nerdy criticism of it. Overall, absolutely best track on the album. I don't want to put too much into it or give them too much credit here, but I also feel like that segment of the song, after he's saying we won't stop searching, the the riff is very galloping, and it is oh, almost as is if like they that, yeah. are galloping along with nothing in sight. That did cross my mind, because yes, it is absolutely a galloping riff. It is that sort of what we you know, that's literally the style we call it, the galloping riff. Yeah. And so I did, that did cross my mind and you might be right, but I think that's where you need somebody to go. Yeah, I can see what you're doing, but it doesn't right. work. That's a great, actually a crystal clear example. And the irony is that this one is also not connected to a particular episode. Um, oh, is because it not? clearly right. it's, it's aimed at Amon Amarth. I mean, it, it, I, I did not hear that confirmed anywhere, but I can't imagine that it's not. What, or if um, not them, then some other Viking metal. For band, sure, surely. Yep. yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But but good for it. Like I say, it's uh, you know I wish that there were more tracks like that on this album. For sure, yeah, it's good stuff. I I, I freaking love the song and the story. Man, is so good. It's like, too yeah. proud to ask for directions, <laughs> and so they just die. It's just so miss the battle. <laughs> they like, never come home. Because yeah. they couldn't, not only they missed the battle, they literally never come home again. It's so good. Because how, how uh, could they? Yeah. How could they face yeah, it? Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> uh, literally the witch is saying, can I give you a map and show you direction? They lie. No, we're just right around for hire. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on then to track nine, Thunder Horse.
speaking of riding around uh, and speaking of songs that are sort of a, a, a one trick horse or a one trick pony, um, this song, Thunder Horse, there's about three words in this song. It is uh, ride, thunder, thunder horse. And revenge. Uh, revenge. Yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> revenge, 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 revenge. <laughs> but other than that, ride, thunder, thunder horse, revenge. Now, the song has some great some... shredding moments to it. it well, um, I was going to say, yeah, musically, it's it's fine. The lyrics, you can't, I mean, how can you criticize the lyrics? Because like you say, they're just really words. Um, is this tied to an episode? It's from the Deathwater episode, which again is the one where they're recording a whole album underwater. So there's different songs that are sort of part of that process there. But it's not there's not like a passage that I can think of in the show that's specifically about this horse or something like that. I think it actually right. might be maybe it was associated with a video that featured like um Squizgar or something like that. Because they do have moments in the show where they're filming a video based on one of their songs. And so it'll start off with like this, you know, uh knight in shining armor thing or something like that. And so you get a little bit of a snippet. I'd have to go back and watch it. But um but this one, I th- I want to say that this song was actually on one of the Guitar Hero games, maybe. Oh, really? Um, well, that wouldn't surprise me because it is kind of, there's a lot of fret wanking going on. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So, yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise I mean, that's one of the reasons why the music, as I say, it's fine, but it's not my favorite because it is, obviously, as you know, I'm not really into the whole fret wanking fest thing. But it, it's just kind of, it's a really, it's an odd song to put on this album because it is just, it's not funny. Yeah, okay, it's a chance to show off musically, but there's plenty of other songs where they do that just as well. So, yeah. This one is more solo heavy, I think, than a lot of the other songs, because for most, now granted, most of the songs overall aren't very long in general, but they don't have overly long solos, and I feel like there's more sort of shredding on this song, or or as some might say, noodling on on a song (laughs) there. But yeah, this this song, uh, and again, it's less than three minutes long. Um. So yeah. as far as a song about riding a horse, I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty good. I, I don't feel like it's uh, it's a dip like um, a couple of the other ones that we just talked about. Like, oh, I feel no, like no, it's, no. it's, it's up tempo enough that it kind of it, it's a sort of a palate cleanser after the the that that sort of um, chugging of the Lost Vikings here. This one's a little more open. Yeah. Well, and again, it's kind of it's almost like critic proof because. Yeah, you know, what can you what can you say about it? So yeah, no, it's not a dip, absolutely. It keeps the energy up, which is always good. Um, but there's just not a lot you can say about it. So instead, let's talk about track ten, briefcase full of guts.
briefcase full of guts, which is basically like a workaholic serial killer, um, you know, kind of theme to it. Uh, and the episode that it was from was called Murdering Outside the Box. And that one, uh, this was, oh, this was an episode that was about their annual sort of employee reviews. They have an annual employee conference and they find out that I believe one of the people in the organization is embezzling from them, uh, which turns out to be themselves. They're embezzling from themselves, which they don't really, <laughs> but they're, as they're doing their employee reviews and interviewing different employees, they're trying to get to the bottom of who is the embezzler with, first of all, they don't even know what embezzle means as their, uh, attorney, uh, who is a guy who's in every single episode who is kind of tasked with keeping this band from completely going off the rails. Um, they don't even know what embezzling means. They think it's a good thing in the beginning, but it turns out that they're embezzling. And this is an episode where, again, the general from the Illuminati group sends someone to try to kill them, uh, who is impersonating an employee. And uh, the assassin ends up getting killed by a diamond-encrusted codpiece that Murderface bought himself to wear on stage. The guy trips and and gets impaled on that. Um, King Diamond is a guest voice in this particular episode, but Briefcase Full of Guts is, I mean, the story that the song is basically telling is that there is a traveling salesman who goes to people's houses and kills them, and he has a briefcase full of guts. And instead of ABC always be closing, which is a common sales sort of trope, ABK always be killing is the thing that keeps getting repeated in this song. And uh, he's talking about how uh, I'm an employee, I have a degree, I'll fulfill your need, I will make you bleed, I'll rise to the top, best one on the team kill outside the box, hold you as you scream. And so he's just um, knocking on people's doors, getting invited into their houses and then filling his briefcase full of guts. Yeah. This is is another one that it it raised a smile, but not quite a laugh out loud from me. Like it's a, the concept is good. The concept is funny, but I think the execution lets this one down. And I, I assume that it was funnier in the context of the episode. Um, And yeah, you know, the, the, as a song just on the album, I think it's, it doesn't quite live up to the concept, which as you say is, is quite funny, but I do just the line briefcase full of guts. That is funny. That's good. It's I very mean, that's gu- like something you'd see on a cannibal corpse album or something like that. Like, right, just, wait, uh, wait, I was thinking it was very Garth Marenghi. I was going to say, it's, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, just the right side of prosaic to be funny. Um, but I also new- like the, there's some good like build moments in this, like towards the end where he's, um, you know, he's repeating, I'm an employee, I have a degree. And then in the background, they're saying always be killing. And it's kind yeah, of building yeah. as it goes. Like there's some good, and there is a groove to the main, uh, well, I was going to say line. that musically, this made me think it did make me think of Slayer a little bit. It also made me think of lamb of God. Yep. I could see which, that too. Which as you say, you know, a bit of a groove thing. Yeah. It's, uh, but part of what actually did make me like the song a little bit more was the the what sounded like the Slayer influence because I could kind of, and again, I don't know whether this is deliberate, but it was almost like you can imagine Kerry King sitting at his kitchen table stuck for ideas and then like sort of comes up with this and goes, fuck it, that'll do. Which, when he's like, <laughs> banap, 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 banap. But he's like, yeah, that, that sounds... Well, and lyrically that as sounds well, sounds about right. Yeah, I'm just listening to it. I was kind of like thinking it was almost as if the concept was, "What if Slayer ran out of ideas?" 
which but, like, but, like, I'm sure that's not like, deliberate, but it, it works in that context. <laughs> punch your card because your working day has started and you're pushing hard for employee of the month. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you got your tools of business, business and they're bloodied by your clients and you're off to work with your briefcase full of guts. It's, it's so good because it's so stupid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ABK stuff always be killed. Like that, that's a great build at the end of the song. So it does have some redeeming qualities to it as well. I agree. I agree with that one. So let's move on to, then to track 11 Birthday, Death Day. I mean, this is one of my favorite songs on the album, because in the show, this was part of the episode called Birthday Face, where they they throw a birthday party for Murder Face, and he's so miserable, and he's sitting there while they're playing this song for him at this big birthday party, and his expression changes not one time through the entire song that they're playing here. So it's just that episode is pretty freaking hysterical and so i just have a great sort of memory of this particular song but lyrically the way the song starts makes me laugh out loud many years ago today something grew inside of your mother that thing was you and then it just says you 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 it's so funny to me i don't know why but that every time the song starts i like am almost in tears laughing it's so funny um and then the whole song is just about how like you're one inch closer to death and you're you you start dying the minute you're born and you know one more year closer to dying plastic surgeons fuel the lying you forget why you came in here your mind rots with every new year <laughs> like for the death of RSVP please for the death of thee that's you the best line little, in the song it's yeah. so good you have little time and you're running out of life happy birthday you're going to die <laughs> well and musically that's the the end of that is also the best musically the best part of the song i think where oh my god it's so where good it, uh, after you're gonna die it goes into that those descending scales uh that's quite nice um oh and then I, rsvp please dig a dig a day in it dig a dig a day in it like it's so that whole piece is just so good it is yeah yeah i can't work out if this is supposed to be a carcass parody there's something about these lyrics they're very clinical you know, things like the rotting organs, ripping, grinding, biological discordance. That's very yeah. carcass. And I do, but obviously carcass, not that well known in the States. Uh, you know, and I have no doubt that Brendan Small clearly knows his metal, 
But even so, that would be quite a deep cut if it's a deliberate parody. But it is what came to mind for me when I was listening to this. Just like the malice that he says, open up your death day present. It's a box of fucking nothing. Like just the malice that he has when he says that piece of it. Like, uh, and then it goes right into RSVP, please. Like, it's just such a, they're singing a birthday song that they think that Murderface is going to like because he's Murderface. So they, they just sing a song that's like the cruelest birthday song you could possibly ever sing to somebody. It's just so funny to me. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. I do like that. This song to me is definitely a, uh, like briefcase full of guts and birthday, death day, strong rebound. Um, actually I feel like, uh, after that middle dip, it, it kind of writes itself really well, but yeah, I, uh, I get a good Mm, kick out of birthday, death day. This one, there is a bit of a dip again, like starting with this track for me. I, like I said, there's a couple of things I like about it, but it's not, you know, it doesn't hit the the heights of something like uh, Lost Vikings for me. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of Motorhead in this song too, like just the main uh, rhythm riff. Uh, really? Yeah, I I feel like it's a little bit Motorheady to me. Oh, okay, okay. I don't. I didn't really see that, but um. Anyway, well, uh, let's move on to track twelve, Hatred Copter. This is the, if you have Megadeth on your bingo card, you can mark off that one now, because this is the Megadeth oh, song. And do um, you think so? <laughs> I d- definitely do. Uh, number one, because Brandon Small's singing voice sounds very clearly like younger Dave Mustaine, for crying out loud. In fact, oh, there yeah, suppose, has been yeah, many yeah. discussions on Reddit forums uh, when this album first came out that that was Dave Mustaine that was doing guest vocals on this oh, song. Oh, really? Um, because the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, wow, interesting. Um, but I think like the, the riff, when that sort of spoken word, uh, second vocalist piece is happening there is very sort of Megadethy, I think from their, um, from their like nineties days, I feel like, like oh, okay. that, that, that could have been like a cryptic writing song or something like that. Like I, uh, and it's really about an incompetent helicopter pilot who is because the the airship that death clock travels around on this hatred copter is it's like the size of an ocean liner like a cruise liner but it's it's a helicopter hatred copter a regular thing in the show then i don't know if they ever call it the hatred copter but that is there is this giant helicopter that they fly around and that it's basically their aerial fortress um but he's you know He's saying, I am likely to find for my failure to fly that I will be fired for not killing you because that is my job, hatred copter. And he's talking about <laughs> flying the hatred copter into people. And uh, 
Gas tank is filled with vengeance, machine gun shooting spite. Can't find the thing that makes this thing take a hard turn right. I know where it leads. Uh, you will most likely die by the hands of my arm when I come and fly and take off your face with the front of my hatred copter. Um, so it's just it's a, a funny song to me. But I also like the the riffs in this one where they're just repeating hatred copter eight times over. Uh, and just the notion of a hatred copter is funny to me as well. Well, that's that's actually part of my problem with this song. It annoys me more than anything. This one because it's it's a lost opportunity. Um, like I personally just think that the concept of a sentient chopper flying around killing people would be much funnier. Um, you know, but okay. I mean, it's not that fair enough. But I do think that that was a much funnier concept. But there aren't enough jokes. In the, this is a, clearly meant to be a comedy, funny, like, you know, how ridiculous, silly song. And yet there aren't really any jokes about the incompetent guy flying around and killing people with a gunship, apart from, yeah, that one bit where he's like, I'm going to be fired because I didn't kill you because that's my job. That's the only real joke in the entire song. Um, and instead we get lots of repeated lines uh, and just very, I don't know, very few laughs which is a shame because the title hatred copter is brilliant. And it, yeah. it, it may, it filled me with anticipation. I thought, Oh, this is going to be funny. And then it, it wasn't, <laughs> but I do like the, I like the music of this song. Like yeah, I love the, the music just kind of washed over me to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. But then maybe that's, you know, maybe that's because it does <laughs> sound like Megadeth. <laughs> that's hurtful. Sorry. I'm wounding um, you now. I know. <laughs> That's the first time you've actually wounded me today. Uh, it, but actually, I've been stuck on the thought of a, uh, what if there was a sequel to the 1980s Charlie Sheen uh, haunted car movie, The Wraith, but it was about a helicopter. Oh, it was about wow. The yeah, helicopter. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Wraith. God, I haven't thought about that in years. Let's take that, let's take that conversation offline, because I think we might have just hit on something. Yeah, that's the next um, screenplay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh man. All right, let's move swiftly on then to track 13, Castratikron. So this was tied to an episode about uh, Nathan's new girlfriend who nobody else in the band liked. So you can obviously see that they're, they're oh, I see, you know, right. we're talking about a song about a, a demon woman named uh, Castrate Akron. Um, but I love the music on this song. In fact, when we talk about like the layering of and the building towards the end of a song, like I feel like this song has one of the best sort of. Uh, that effects at the end of a song where they're just repeating, you know, um, 
run, but you can't hide. Your the hunt is on. Your life is gone. Castratacron, and it's just like building in e- the lead guitars over the top of it, like layer after layer. It's so good. Um, yeah, musically, this one actually made me think of uh, a track off the Probot album. A track, oh, Big, Big Sky, the Thomas G. Warrior track. Okay, um, all right. And I, I doubt again. I doubt that that's deliberate. I would think he's probably heard the Probot album because you know uh, he's a metalhead, but um i don't think it's deliberate necessarily but there's just something about it the way that you have the the chugging and then like a, you know a couple of free notes at the end just yes, really dude. brought it to mind um but i like it i like it musically it is well arranged the riffs yep. are good uh the post chorus riff with that sharpened claws poison tip manicure thing that's a great riff i like that oh it's awesome yeah i even and like then- the solo in this one i i like the solo <laughs> I know in this one that's it's how, really good that's how good it is um but again the vocals the vocals let it down the castraticron shout like it's just kind of lost in the music like that should be you know that should be the, the I can big, see that powerful moment yeah. of the chorus and it, that, the it's fist just pumping not. anthem piece of it yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's a shame but I just say musically I, re- I rate this this is absolutely one of the you know top three or four uh tracks on the album yeah, I really love it from a musical standpoint. And then the uh, just the title, Castrator Cron. Um, it you is know, a good title. <laughs> it's the title for the girlfriend that, uh, you know, is sort of leading the lead singer of the band astray sort of thing, which again is a very Spinal Tap thing, right? Because it was, um, you know, it was the girlfriend that came in and, and became sort of co-manager of the band and Spinal Tap and stuff like that. So it... Uh, yeah, well, that, that's the it, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, parody, isn't it? Uh, absolutely yeah 100 yeah. percent. it's i actually i mean obviously because i didn't know the episode i didn't know that it was about his uh new girlfriend but i, I definitely got that it was about you know yes some kind of uh unwelcome woman being <laughs> being the ruin of a, of this guy yeah yeah totally yeah. uh all right move on track 14 face fisted So I got to see if this one is tied to, no, it doesn't appear in season one or two later, later appears in a different episode. So it was, it was uh, created without a specific episode. It looks like tied to it. Now, when I hear this song, it makes me think of Bizarro. I feel like this is a song that Bizarro would sing about trying to fight Superman. I am be dangerous now, not me hurt when stairs fell down. Like, (laughs) like it's, he's talking like Bizarro in this song uh, see um, i i took it as kind of caveman speech sure i mean same uh, thing right i mean he's talking about someone that's just a, a complete um you know blockhead and 
is talking about how tough they are and how you know they're going to schedule time to beat you up. And there are some funny moments in the lyrics here, like "I'm making time for fighting," "I'm cleaning time for hit," "I'm clearing time for hitting." We'll meet and I will beat you, our schedules permitting. Um, which also made me think of the movie Three O'clock High, uh, which which I don't know why, but like everything just goes back to some sort of movie at some point in time. Um, I pick out fighting outfit, don't want my pants too tight, need clothes to breathe to beat you. You'll be beaten down tonight. Um, it's, it's Phil Anselmo. This whole song for me is a Pantera parody, both musically and lyrically, and a really good one. This is, for me, this is the second best track on the album. It is, musically, it works really well. It's funny. Uh, the whole, I'm strong, you're not, and I'm so fucking tough, that's right. Oh I mean, my that, God, yeah. That absolutely sounds, you could imagine Anselmo singing that on Vulgar Display of Power. It could be on Vulgar Display of Power, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, brilliant. And, and a lot of the riffs sound quite dimebaggy. They're quite good pastiches of dimebag. The main verse riff with those stop-start chords and the groove rhythm, absolutely dimebag. Uh, even Hoagland's drums sound to me like a pastiche of Vinnie Paul in places on this track. Some of the double kick work here absolutely yep. feels like Vinnie's very distinctive style. Um, and just the line, I cannot feel pain, I might be insane. That's That's really funny. That made me laugh. So yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, just counting out, <laughs> just counting <laughs> twice yeah. in a row, like like a placeholder lyric that you would write down if yeah. you were writing lyrics to be like, okay, this is the cadence I need to have in this thing. It's so funny, yeah, so and strong. My face is you punch, break fingers, kick me, you're limping, stab me, you're bleeding. Yeah, I exactly. am be furious now. Right. Well, and that's what I mean about the the, the sort of bizarro style meter of the loose. Yeah. I took it as being kind of just like thick caveman meathead. Yeah. You know, can't speak properly stuff. Yeah. So sure. yeah, as I say, just like bro metal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this one made me laugh a lot. It is funny. Um, the the uh, I'm making time for fighting. I'm clearing time for hitting. The riff behind that is really good. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, and there is some dime bag there too, for sure. That's great. Yeah, that's a great point. I did not think of it as the Phil Anselmo song because I was so stuck on the Bizarro thing. Like it just right. to me, it was like a, <laughs> I I, I kind of thought about it as like a you know a, a poorly written letter to Superman um, that Bizarro was writing. <laughs> I mean, I can see that. I can see that absolutely. But yeah, as I say, as soon as I heard this, I was like, oh, oh, this is the Pantera parody. <laughs> it's good. It's even better now. Now and that it's you a mentioned good that, that's really good. <laughs> All right, then let's finish off. Last track, track 15, Death Harmonic.
a great finishing song because what what do all well not all but certainly many big metal bands do at some point right you gotta you gotta bring in the the orchestra you gotta like this is the this to me is like just a such a great parody of you know bands feeling like they have to do something like that at some point right or they've reached the point where they they're you know they need to to bring in that uh, orchestral element to their music like that. So I just, I just get a kick out of the whole premise of this song. And it was from a episode, which was close to one of the last episodes of the season. And it was about, I think it was because they um, were going to owe a ton in taxes. And so they were having some sort of a charity concert. Yeah, they're they're doing as much charity work as possible to help their tax situation, which goes to some of the lyrics in this particular song. Um, oh, goes to all of the lyrics, yeah. Uh, and then they so they have this event basically where they have almost like a laser disco ball, and the laser gets turned to deadly and actually ends up like killing everybody at the at the event and stuff like that. Like it as the light hits it and it kind of goes goes all over the place, um, if I remember correctly. So. Yeah, I mean, this is basically a song about how I'm I'm doing this uh, event in order to, you know, not have as many taxes. And if I could write off murdering all of you people, then uh, I would do that. So, yeah, it's it's a weird one. This for me, like musically, I I, I do quite like it. Um, and it is, and this is the one. Obviously, you you could guess that this is the one with uh uh what's the name on it? Forgot her name. Emily Autumn. Emily Autumn. That's it. Yeah. Um, obviously, because I think it's the only one with the violins on it. It is the only uh, one. And they're I, great. The violins are great. I do appreciate the fact that they got an actual violinist in rather than just using keyboards. You know, that's quite nice. Yeah. Um, and it is a good, it's a good pastiche of symphonic epic metal and not parody. You know, it is, it just sounds like a symphonic metal song. Uh, and the lyrics are also pretty good, but the lyrics going with this song just feels really strange. Like, Again, they're not bad lyrics. Like it's a pretty good takedown of sort of libertarian anti-tax politics, taking things to its logical end of like, well, you know, your life is less important than my wealth, but they just don't fit with the music. Uh, for me, it's like I don't know. It's really weird. Like, and symphonic- I think that's more tied to the story of that episode, right, where oh, they were doing this sort of oh, charity sure. event. Which, but you're right. I think, but they're still gonna, from that they- context. Right. Well, but even in that context, you know, the music could have been something different with the same kind of lyrics. Um, So, yeah, pairing up this style of music with these lyrics is just weird because, you know, it's not like symphonic metal is the genre sweeping the globe and selling out arenas and making everybody multimillionaires, you know. (laughs) Right. uh, Yeah, it's just odd. To say not bad, I do quite like it. Musically, as I say, it's, it's a strong showing, but just really weird to put these lyrics with uh with this music strange well, choice what i like about this song is i feel like the the main riff of this song it's very doomy you know and it's yes. very sort of uh plotting and i love the way that towards the end like he's talking about i'd rather you be dead than ponder parting with my second home or considering not opening a restaurant and then but it just goes to i'd rather you be dead now and then it repeats be dead now be dead now and then be dead 
And just the way that that song finishes, I think is really just from a musical and a lyrical standpoint, like it's a, it's a good ending to the song. I will say that he's really good at ending songs. Like unlike some albums that we've uh, talked about and, you know, and this is a, everybody knows this is a bugbear of mine about songs yep. that don't end properly. All of these songs do end, which is nice. Totally. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I like it as a as a closer. I think it's um, just as far as the journey that you go on the, on this album. I do like it as a. Uh, it's as a definitely closer. it's definitely one of those closers that feels like a closer rather than because as as we've talked about, you know, there's kind of two way two ways two good ways of ending an album. You either end with something really high energy that makes you just want to flip it over and and play the whole thing again or you end with something that feels like the end of an epic journey. And this is definitely in that latter category. Yep. Although frequently it does make me start right at the beginning of the album over again. But yes, it, <laughs> I, I agree with you in terms of those two. That's uh, more to do of, with you than the album, I think. It absolutely. Yeah, 100% <laughs> is. Um, and then, of course, there is a, a bonus track on this, which I think was on the CD. Like I had the CD back in the day, but it wasn't like... Um, uh, a lot of versions. I don't think the Spotify version had this, but I I had purchased it on Amazon a, a long while ago and uh, didn't have this this lot. But it's just the the opening theme song from the actual yeah. show. Yeah. Um. Which, if you haven't heard that yet, I mean, you can go check it out. It's it's it fits everything. It's a you know fifteen twenty second version of everything that you've heard over the course of this album. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So that is the death album. And then there's extended versions of this album too, that have like a, almost like a dozen more tracks on them and oh, stuff wow. like that. But this, this is the, this is the first death album. And, um, definitely the one that, uh, I don't even know if I've heard the third one. Like I spent so much time with just this one, um, that I was almost afraid to listen to the other ones. Cause I did, cause I like this album so much. I didn't know uh, if the yeah. other ones would like, overstay their welcome the, or they would yeah, I didn't if want they to, were no good they taint your memory of this one totally um but and i but i had no idea that they each one had charted higher and higher than the other one and so uh i'm probably going to dig into those other ones but i do really <laughs> really enjoy this album for sure yeah well and like i say it's musically i really like it my my issues were with some of the pacing of it and uh you know the the vocal delivery and some of the lyrics and and that i would be really interested uh, you know having now sort of done the reading up about it i didn't want to do this before the episode but i'm probably going to have a look for brendan small's solo stuff which i assume is not you know parody or comedy or whatever and is just straight up metal um because, like I say, he's clearly a great musician and a good songwriter. So, you know, I'm keen to check out what he could do outside of the context of making a Death Clock album. Right. I'm looking at his discography. Uh, he, it's Galacticon is the other stuff that he's done, which I think falls under his quote-unquote solo work. And I think the first one is more... Almost like what was the the first one? It was it was more like melodic um, and had more of a science fiction sort of theme to it. Intergalactic extreme rock is kind of how that that first one went, and then the second Galacticon album I think was more death clocky, but I'm not. I don't think it ever got back to like what this was. 
Right, so, right. and I haven't really listened to more than a track or two off of, of those albums. So, well, you know, um, galactic space rock is, uh, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, <laughs> that's something I no, can and, get into. <laughs> and he's clearly demonstrated that when he goes for a genre, he brings a lot he, of uh, he knows a lot that of knowledge genre. to it. Yeah, yeah totally, yeah. absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I'm very interested to see what. A, how many listeners we have that are actually fans of the show or, or don't like the show at all, uh, and where people kind of stand on the album because it is a, it's a good one to discuss. There's a lot of good stuff to dig into here from a lyrical standpoint, and just uh, man, anytime I can listen to Gene Hoagland play drums, yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I have I have literally just you know sat and watched YouTube videos of Same. Gene playing the drums with no accompaniment, just him yep. playing the drums before now because he's just a joy to watch and listen to. And he seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy in every oh, he comes across interview so well. yeah, that I've so, ever seen him in. Like He's so humble, so good-natured and modest, and clearly just absolutely fucking loves Well, like I said, actually, on the forum, um, when somebody, forgive me, uh, whoever it was, I don't recall who it was, but somebody posted a drum cam of Mickey D at a Motorhead gig. Um, and uh, and there's your, there's your bingo card filled. Um and he was clearly just having the absolute fucking best time. It's yep. like just a man who absolutely loves what he does. And yeah, that's the impression I get with Gene. I mean, he's not quite as, uh, you know, beer swilling as Mickey D, but he clearly right. just absolutely fucking loves what he does. Uh, and I love watching him do what he does. Oh, and just, uh, I had mentioned before that one of the tracks was on Guitar Hero in 2006, Guitar Hero 2, that was Thunder Horse death clock was on it was thunder horse yeah uh in 2009 mermaider was part of the brutal legend soundtrack uh, okay okay yeah yeah that fits. and then uh they had a few other ones on rocksmith and stuff like that uh so yeah they've been uh death clock songs have been in guitar hero brutal legend saints row the third rocksmith 2014 um and he's done a lot of stuff for other people's acts as well uh brendan smallhouse so a lot of good stuff to dig into there but yeah i uh, i'm glad we got a chance to to cover that the death album is something that i have wanted to cover for a while and so it's kind of been on that list of like eventual episodes so i'm glad we finally got a chance to put it in there and uh i'm very interested to see if you get anything out of the actual animated series at all yeah no as i say i, I will definitely seek out some of those episodes now and uh and yeah, who knows? They might help me put some of these songs in a better light as well. Um, but certainly, that just by itself, the show sounds like something I might enjoy. We'll see. Uh, all right. So before we get to the homework, let me once again remind you all that you can support us at uh, Patreon.com/slash/ThrashItOut. We very much appreciate and love all our patrons. Uh, you help us stay independent and keep the show going. Um, if you enjoy the show, please spread the word, tell your friends, rate us on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and of course, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash thrashedout, or get in touch by going to thrashedoutpodcast.com for links to the show email and our Twitter accounts. Speaking of things you've wanted to do for a long time, Brian, my friend, yes. it is time. At- <gasps> At last, it is time Ooh. to bear witness, or you could say, to bring testament. Oh 
My goodness. Before you even tell me, I just want to reiterate to people that you and I never talk about what album it might be or when they were going to come up. This is the first time hearing of this. I am very excited. I mean, it's only taken us five fucking years <laughs> to finally People do are going to lose their mind. The, the, despite um, both of us have had Testament on our list since totally. we started this show. You know, mm-hmm. that, that we know. We don't discuss what we're going to pick for the next show, but we do occasionally talk about what bands are on our list. And Testament has been on our, both of our lists right since the start. But here's the problem. Choosing an album. I know. And let me tell you, fucking hell. It was so I'm actually hard. glad. I'm actually <laughs> glad that you're the one that is choosing Testament because honestly, I have chosen and rechosen yep. what album I would do from Testament probably about 15 times since it, we started this thing. So I'm I'm actually relieved that you I are did, choosing Testament. And I did that in the course of deciding that it was time for us to do the Testament episode. It is so hard to choose just one album. Like I mean, you know, you can some you can argue i know the their middle period low demonic those albums aren't as popular with many people i really like them but i know they're not that popular with uh, a lot of people they've had obviously their recent revival dark roots of earth and stuff like that very very good but let's be honest it's the classic era you know that in those initial four or five albums that everybody thinks of as well that's testament um and they're all so good like yep. any one of those albums could be an episode. You know, you could justify choosing any one of them. And I spent a day li- listening to all of those albums through. I love it. Just straight through. Uh, and, oh, man, it, it's just so hard because every you album gotta, was like, once you oh, say wait, it, you no, can't take one. it back. So you oh, got to no, say this it. One. I know, I know. So what I decided was we are going to do The New Order. Yes. Which is their second album. But it's kind of their first real proper album. It's like their Ride the Lightning to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first album where they kind of locked in what they were and what they were about and what they sounded like. So that is the album we're going to do. It's from 1988. Man, um, yes. Yeah, it's so hard to choose, but that is the one that we're going to do. Now, as I said earlier, the next episode that we put out is actually going to be a backstage pass episode, which we're recording uh, shortly. Um because we haven't done one for a while. So look forward to that. But once we've done that afterwards, we will then move on at last to Testament. So go grab your copies of the new order and get listening. I cannot wait. I'm so excited now. And again, relieved that this was your choice. Um, (laughs) It's me that takes all the brick bats. (laughs) But I also feel like you've made a choice that is, like you said, if you choose any early era Testament, everyone has their favorite within that, but really, are you going to argue against any early era Testament? I don't think so. Exactly. Exactly. We can all have our preferences, but any one of them is worthy. There's no question. You know, I could have chosen practice what you preach or, or even the ritual or souls of black or something. And you know, you could justify any one of them, but that's why I chose the new order because they're all worthy. But like I say, I thought, well then let's go back and start at the start as it were. Sure. All right. And that is our episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next time in the backstage pass episode until then keep thrashing take care thrash it out